Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back to the Almost Sideways podcast. Welcome to 2023. This is episode 205. We're recording this on Monday, January 2nd, 2023 at 3 p.m. Pacific time. I'm Terry. We have Zach. We have Adam. And hey, there's Todd. Yo, Hi, Todd. He's back. The boys he's... are back. Todd, did you get a uh, $38,000 bonus like Adam did for your extra Christmas work? $38,000? That no, that's not, not what it was. was. No, it was not that much. <laughs> we'll oh we'll bleep God. it out. $417,000. <laughs> Uh, no, no, Todd just works a hell of a lot of hours and racks in the overtime. Yeah, yeah. I think my the last week uh, before Christmas it was about sixty five hours or so in six days, which is a lot. Yeah, that's yeah, that's about right. It's a lot of hours. Those. Yeah, that's what my yeah. Don't miss being around Trevor. I tell you that. <laughs> Shout out to Trevor. <laughs> What? what? <laughs> Trevor. He said route driver. Oh, I thought you said Trevor. I thought that was some uh, malign. It, it, uh, it did sound word. like you said around Trevor instead of route driver. <laughs> I, I could hear what you heard, but I'm no. Dissing on coworkers on the podcast here, you know, real <laughs> private, taking your uh, taking your fellow employees to task. Zach, I, I need to I need to let you uh, let you uh, pay something off here. How is the fantasy football championship going against? Nick? Oh, it's wonderful! It's absolutely wonderful. We we talked about this last week. I'm going to be champion six and eight. Uh, th- three of my top five picks I can't play on a given week. Uh, my first running back was Elijah Mitchell. I was underdogs in every single game. I had the worst draft a cor- a grade according to Yahoo. And I'm a, and, and champion, baby. That's all I can say. Champion, right here, right, right. Well, it's not, Buffalo. it's not over yet. But uh, that's true. That fat lady hasn't T. sung yet. Unless T. Higgins has a Mike Evans like day, and Mike Evans was one of my players yesterday. Uh, I feel like I am uh, going to be celebrating. I guess I, sh- I, I feel maybe like Jeff Saturday as the Colts head coach. I, maybe I should watch my mouth a little bit, but uh, I feel fairly confident that I'm going to win our almost sideways league. Well, you, well aren't, you're like up five and you have five players left, right? I have, I'm right, right across the Buffalo. So I have uh, all Buffalo players except for Stefan Diggs, who Todd stole from under me and the defense who Cassie stole from under me and they didn't win first place. I'm just going to put, put that out there. I, I'm already looking forward to being in this league, by the way, next year. <laughs> I, already, I already have my movie picked out that I'm going to uh, reference every year. It's going to be home alone. And I think my team name I'm yes. debating, it's going to be the McAllister wake up calls, the filthy little jerks or the little Nero's delivery men. That's the three names I'm debating oh. on for my league. What about so the I, American Dental Association? <laughs> oh. That's even better. Yes. <laughs> Jimmy, Great stop stuff. that boy. And then you get so, like Jimmy Garoppolo. There we go. Oh, there we go. Oh, the man. salted sidewalks. There we go. Mm-hmm. I, I think, yeah, I can, I, I can see it. It's going to be good. The South Bend shovel slayer. So you get some Notre Dame players. There we go. See, I, I, I thought about it. 
Oh, man. Four years of names already planned out. See, Todd good. wins because he just sticks with Boucher bombers. He doesn't have to put up with this bullshit. Think, think of the yeah. number of minutes and our hours in our life that have been consumed by coming up with team names that no one can appreciate. He is entertained by them, though, right, Todd? Yeah, yeah, they're fun. I mean, I was hoping someone was going to be Berkman goes boom, but you know. <laughs> oh, oh, there we go. Berkman goes boom. Yes, Barry, capital yeah, B, capital that. G, capital B. All right. Well, we have a ton to talk about, so let's not waste any more time. Uh, Zach, what are you drinking? I am in a dry January, so I'm going with uh, the Starbucks cup, the return of it, at least for the foreseeable next four episodes. Oh, Aquafina. There we go. There we go. Yes. <laughs> Cheers to a new, straw, new beginnings. No, no straw. I believe Starbucks discontinued their straws in 2022, so... Uh, I guess they're trying to be more environmentally conscious. But they I mean, give you, you those little plastic stoppers, though, for add hot your drinks. own straw. That All is right. true. <laughs> Adam, what are you drinking? So last week I did bust out this uh, whiskey sour mix, which I did not drink any of, but I have just since tried some of this. I got a noise complaint on my microphone picking up me opening up the bottle, so I didn't actually drink any. But yeah, it's uh, Daniel Daniel's Broiler Whiskey Sour. Mix and I actually have it. It's actually really good. I well, you're just carrying some... over the drink from the last episode. I didn't actually drink it from last episode. I think that's I... a first. I don't know if that's ever happened that someone had a drink and they didn't drink it and they're using it for the next episode. So what happened was I opened it up, but there was too much noise from the desk and the microphone. Oh, I have I since the heard the audio. There was a red flag on it. I, I, it was flagged. I, I get it. <laughs> uh, but now I, I shut up. We're going to keep going. Go. Who, what are you drinking, Todd? I was gonna say that like like someone is someone's complaining about carrying over uh, uh drinks to the next episode when Zach for eight weeks in a row had the exact same Sierra Nevada beer at one point. So. That's true. I like that Adam says that he got a noise complaint, like you know, he's like uh Seth Rogen yeah. neighbors or something. That's what I like thought someone's he was talking about a, <laughs> like he got a little too rowdy, like like uh like Leo and once upon a time in Hollywood No, exactly. I, I received an email from Terry, so this is the noise that you made. <laughs> I did I said it down there. Had a bad experience. Uh Todd, what are you drinking? Uh, I got a Manhattan. No oh, real reason why, but you know. Bourbon needs to be drank. So, drink, drink, drunk. Let's Very go. Nice. Very nice. So I'm I'm wearing my I'm wearing my dude shirt today. The dude abides. Oh, and I think I've had this one before, but I saw it at the store today, and I had to get it oh. again. Pelican Brewery is becoming my favorite brewery. It is mm-hmm. the brewed abides. Okay, that that makes wow. this fitting. Good job. It is it is a white Russian inspired milk stout. Hey, there we it's, go. It's pretty good. Just Lebowski, Mount, Mount okay. Rushmore. Just seven uh, percent, but I guess that's a lot for it is, a beer. It is my beverage here, so white Russian beer. I don't know. It's an odd mix. <laughs> inspired, inspired beer. I don't Anyways. know. I don't. I don't know if that gets more of a red flag than Adam getting a noise complaint. But I, it, the, <laughs> there's a, a complaint registered with that beer. All right. Okay, I'll do Torino. But whatever you say, Agua Fria. Um. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, make sure you're subscribing, rating, reviewing, all that fun stuff. Let's get into what we have been, uh, what we have been watching. And for that, we are going to start with uh, with the one that's been out for a while. We're going to start with Todd. Yeah. Todd, what have you been watching? All right. Uh, well, I got one move I'm going to report on, and then I'll talk about some that you guys have reviewed, and we'll, we'll uh, 
So yeah, there we squirrels, go. I guess um, <laughs> the one I the one I did yeah. watch that I want to talk about is Women Talking, the Sarah Pauli movie from yeah. uh, from 2022. It uh, takes place in 2010 in this Mennonite society. It's basically like an Amish like Christian colony, and um, and uh, the women find out that the men of the colony have been drugging the women and their children for like years, and they hold a meeting for a couple of days deciding what they're going to do. They say there you know are three options: we can either leave we can stay and fight or we can do nothing and they're all illiterate which makes it interesting but they are kind of smart that's one thing i appreciate about the movie they don't like exaggerate how their isolated lifestyle makes them like sound dumb or something like they actually sound articulate and um they bring in this guy the one guy in the movie is ben wishaw and he's able to record the meetings for them and they discuss that like basically everything's on the table and it's like a philosophical discussion also because they're saying how uh, if we don't forgive these men, then we won't, you know, be able to go to heaven. And so they're trying to decide the, their faith versus what, like, their their worth as a human. Uh, and it's it all takes place in basically like one room, sort of. It's almost like a play. And the movie has this really interesting gray coloring style. If you've seen the trailer, you know what I mean. And it it it, it doesn't. It's not able to pop though the way that like The Handmaid's Tale does. Like that that has like also a much more concerned with like drama and and uh and but the points and the agenda of them of them are kind of similar it lo- it feels like a period piece but it is it is current and pretty urgent at least it would tell you it is and claire foy i think it's awesome she's the meatiest part in the role in the movie i think she deserves the oscar buzz uh even more so than than jesse buckley jesse buckley is also great and so is rooney mara ben wishaw is kind of annoying and boring though the score is Hilder uh, Guanadotier. She's fantastic, and they're the, the the score is amazing and simple and kind of lingering. You basically are just stuck in this barn with these women discussing and taking notes. And I was reminded of like in, in Clerks Two, Randall says about the Lord of the Rings. It's just three movies about people walking. Well, this is just not 100 minutes of women talking, which I think is inherently more interesting than Lord of the Rings. Um, the movie is good. It's 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 not great. It's not a best picture contender like it should have been. It probably could have been, but. Um, it would be a shame if it at least doesn't get an adopted screenplay nomination. And Jesse Buckley's probably getting nominated as well. I like it. I'm giving it three stars. I'm not, I, I imagine we'll have a, we'll be kind of all over the map on this one. Nice. Yeah, this is a Spirit-nominated film. Uh, so I, I haven't got to this one quite yet. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, especially when they release that. Uh, we're able to watch it. I know it's coming out wide wide release, like in first week of January, so relatively soon. soon. So, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's definitely one that I've been – meaning to can't looking forward to watching so all right another yeah, I just, one I'm, oh, well, i was just it. gonna say i just remember your academy award write-up from a few months ago where you said it would it would uh be on brand for them to nominate the only male actor from a movie called yeah. woman talking that was one of your funniest <laughs> lines ever and i also like the idea of the oscars not nominating films called women talking the woman king or she said that's also on brand for the oscars that feels like it's about to happen so but they're not going to nominate men for anything I think we're gonna ah, dang it that guy and all those <laughs> missed <roles>. opportunity. <laughs> all right, Todd, what else you got? Uh, so I watched Babylon yesterday. Um, oh, it's, oh, here we go. Which is pretty crazy. It moves really quickly. It's kind of a fascinating mess. And I, I feel like the only reason that I really liked it is because it's there are times when it's absolutely my thing. But there are also times when it's kind of the opposite of my thing, which makes it weird. I, I understand why it's divisive. Uh, the, I wanted, I do want to say the thing, the scene where the guy is like eating the rats uh that is straight out of pig like i mean it's the place even looks the same oh, I, don't, I, mean, yeah. I haven't seen anybody say that like they even say that the guy was found in a forest in oregon i'm, I'm like did, did did he write this after he saw pig it's ridiculous but um 
I don't know. The movie's fun. It's like it's like if Hail Caesar was directed by Scorsese, but directed on the Boogie Nights set. Uh, yeah, I like it. it it's a, <laughs> wow. it's a it's a three star movie. Um, I also watched uh, The Whale. Um, Brendan Fraser is awesome, and he's gonna he's he would be worthy of winning an Oscar for this. It's it's sometimes like as meaningful and emotional as anything I've seen this year, but it also is at times as truly awful as anything I've seen in like several years. It's a tough movie, but it's an Aronofsky movie, and I'm sort of like, yeah, whatever, two and a half stars. And wow, um, wow, and, two and a half. Yeah, and I did watch Avatar: The Way of Water. Uh, obviously, James Cameron's world building is amazing, and the 3D is really kind of clunky, especially when you're actually watching the humans. Like it was like it was made to be underwater, and when it's not, and they're not using a bunch of CGI, it doesn't really work. But it's not as mind blowing as the original, but. I'll watch wherever it goes. Like I, I've been telling people, it's like the Toy Story two of of Avatar, where it's like, okay, yeah, the, the, we now can't miss. So it's it's just like, yeah, I'll watch I'll watch the next one and the next one and the next one. Three stars. All right, is that everything? Yeah, I mean, I think that's good. Those are the main ones that, that you guys have reviewed. I think. Man, I'm I'm still blown away. Two and a half stars for the whale from you. I I told you it was going to be your number one of the year, so maybe I hyped it up a little too much for you. Well, there were times when I I understood that, and I and it it was some like things that I I would absolutely love, but like there were just times I'm just like, man, who wrote this? This is awful. Todd, do you think that Babylon is the Heaven's Gate of our generation, and that uh, <laughs> Damien Chazelle is the Chimino of our generation? I feel like those comparisons are inevitable at this point. I don't know. I mean, I, I think this movie is going to be treated better currently than Heaven's Gate was when it was released. I, it's it's hard to really compare it to much. I, I don't think it's the Wolf of Wall Street and even where it'll have like a second life. I think this is just sort of the way that Babylon is. It's flopping too much for it to have a second life. It it might it it's lucky to make ten million right now at the box office. With that what eighty million dollar budget or whatever? At least. I do love that that the first time you see uh, Brad Pitt, he's speaking Italian, and it's way better than he does in Glorious Bastards. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think I said his character in this is like Cliff Booth meets Aldo Rain. Yeah, not bad. Pretty much. All right. Very good. Very good. All right. Next, we're gonna go to Adam. All right. So Todd mentioned a Spirit-nominated film. Um, I'm also going to do that too. I kicked off with my first watch of like, the, I've seen some movies that were already nominated, but the one I hadn't seen was after Yang, which is directed by Koganada. Yes. As also stars uh, Colin uh, Farrell, Jody Turner Smith. And uh, so this movie follows this kind of Colin Farrell's character as uh, they're this kind of AI kind of symbiotic robot type person named Yang uh, kind of breaks down and he's kind of going from place to place to try to find out replacement parts for it. Uh, but this movie is actually kind of really kind of fascinating. I want to want to dive more into the world of it as well. Um, I really liked what Colin Farrell was able to do here. I don't think he's as, uh, as obviously he's not as witty as he was in the Banshees of Inner, Inner Sharon, but it, it, it has this, this really cool look tone to and feel to the movie. I want to see more of Jodie Turner Smith in it, but she's really good as well. But this is really more of a Colin Farrell film. What I really think the movie, when it really takes off, when they introduce the um, Haley Lou Richardson's character here, she's another really fascinating uh, performance here. I kind of liked where it went and uh, yeah, really solid little film here that, I, I really enjoyed. So three stars for me on uh, After Yang. 
It's really low key and kind of while well, Todd said it was really low key and uh, really kind of cool to watch. And I definitely have to agree with those sentiments. So yeah, I, this... I think I enjoyed this movie more than Banshees and Sharon, to be honest. Wow. Oh, so I, I think need this to rewatch is a, Banshees. This is a movie that Terry needs to see because based on the last few uh, number ones of his uh, list, this, this <laughs> That's would a fall good point, into uh, ter- the, the, Terry's lane for genre. Okay. I have not yeah. seen this one yet. Yeah, Swan Song number two after Yang's gonna be number two. That's that's kind of the okay. comparison. Yeah, I'll try and uh, I'll try and get this one watched before we do our top tens. Ha- yes, has you anyone complete your year of Colin Farrell? It is yeah, I was I was gonna say, has anyone had a better year than Colin Farrell, like ever, than he had in twenty twenty two with after Yang, the Batman, Thirteen Lives, Banshees of Inisherin. Have I we think, seen 13 I think Pete Davidson has No one has seen 13 Lives. <laughs> no. Jenny uh, no Ortega's up there. Jenny Ortega's up there. She's been in a lot of pro, uh, like mainstream projects too. But not quite like this. I well, mean, not awards buzzed. Yeah, you you're right on that. But Was it was it 20, uh, 2011 with that was uh the Ryan Gosling year where he had Crazy Stupid Love the Ides of March and Drive. Like that's that's pretty similar. 2002 for John C. Riley, wasn't he in like four of the five Best Picture nominees or something like that? Three. And then what about The Lion, Sir Ridley Scott, with that shitty Lady Gaga movie and the shitty Duel movie last year? (laughs) I mean, there is that. That was two years ago now, Zach. Oh, The year has changed. That's right. What was the one I was just thinking of? uh... Nope, it's gone. Never mind. Okay. All We're, right, old. <laughs> We're old. We're <laughs> old. Another year. I, I, another. Year. I I actually stopped and said to myself, like, Y two K was twenty three years ago. That's oh God. Just, that's just nuts. All right. Yeah. Enough talking about us being old. I'm going next. Uh, I'm gonna report on a couple things. Uh, first, uh, my last Oscar watch of 2022 uh was the let's see if you i know i already told todd this so he can't guess but uh going back 10 years to 2012 it was the best documentary winner from 2012 was it the football movie no that was that was 2011 Uh, i talked about that last year (laughs) (laughs) best documentary 2012 man i don't know i don't know if i was it uh was it a movie about the iraq war no no about as far from that as possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been my guess. Uh, I have no idea. Todd, what is it? Searching for Sugarman. Searching oh, for yeah. Sugarman. Uh, Sugarman came by... to the Oscars, I thought, right? I think so. I, yeah. Directed by, I'm going to butcher this name, Malik Benjalul. Uh, anyways, he. Uh, this is a movie about this... Um, so, I mean, depending on who you talk to, either this mythical rock legend or a completely forgotten uh, rock star from the 70s named Rodriguez. And uh, in the United States, he was uh, he made a couple records, but no one ever really listened to him. No one ever really bought into it. And he was completely forgotten about. And then if you go to South Africa, he was this mythical legend that was like one of the most uh, influential people. Like he helped his music helped um, end apartheid 
in in South Africa. And so this movie starts with these South African guys like whatever happened to Rodriguez and uh, and how did he die? Because there were a lot of rumors about how he could have died. There's one rumor that he he lit himself on fire on stage in the middle of a concert and he burned to death. One rumor was he pulled out a pistol in the middle of the set when no one liked it and shot himself. So what happened to Rodriguez? Uh, and it's going along and it takes a twist about halfway through that you do not see coming. That's pretty amazing. And uh, it, it is, it, it is a great documentary documentaries like this are the best kind where all of a sudden you think the movie's about one thing and then it completely flips on its head and becomes something else. So three and a half stars for searching for sugar man definitely deserve the win. Uh, then the other thing I want to talk about just briefly, uh, I took my daughter to see Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, this last week. Uh, and uh, it is, uh, everyone I, I hear is talking about how it's so much better than you think it's going to be. And it is. It, it is it is better than you think it's going to be because it's it's uh, Puss in Boots dealing with mortality, dealing with, uh, you know, he's on his last life. What are you going to, uh, and, and they're, they're searching for an opportunity to get this wish. And so what are you going to wish for? Do you really want to wish for what you're going to wish for? And there's a, some other characters dealing with a lot of existential crises in the same, at the same time. And at the same time, it's Puss in Boots. So it's, it's animated fun. It's a three-star movie. It was, it was better than, uh, better than I thought it was going to be when you watched the trailer, which I will say was your first Puss in Boots as well. I don't know why everyone keeps doubting, you know, these, these uh, DreamWorks animated movies. They're always better than you think. The Shrek Cinematic Universe. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I, I think all of our listeners are are wanting to know, Terry, what your ranking is of the 2012 best documentaries. Oh, dang it. Oh, okay. good point. Yeah. I gotta put on the spot. Put, gotta put, you know, put me on the spot here. Hold on. I thought I you were find... prepared for this. I should have been. I really should have been, but I wasn't. All right. Let's see here. I have to we look weren't. at the list. Um, I, I'm really disappointed to hear that Searching for Sugarman wasn't about the noted Proust scholar Larry Sugarman, <laughs> rival of Steve Carell. Oh man, under some that, false that, that was a different that was a different deep dive. Um, I would probably say Sur- Searching for Sugarman is number one. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. The Gatekeepers. I have number two. Um. The Invisible War, number three. Then, what were the other two? Um, How <laughs> Survive a Plague, How Survive a Plague, and Five Broken Cameras. Well, I'm looking at the list, and I'm looking at my list of movies from that year. Um, how uh, Five Broken Cameras, four, and How to Survive a Plague, five. That's what I'll go with. Searching for Sugar Man was definitely the best of the year. Nice. Even well, in talking good. about some of those, I don't remember what a, what a couple of them are. But if I would, when I, I'd have You're to old. take a look and be like, oh, oh, hey, yeah, yeah, that one. So I, know, I remember the invisible, I, the gatekeepers. Just from the name of it, I'm not remembering what I don't that is. What that is either. I, I, I'd have to go back and look. But uh, the keymaster, I'm the gatekeeper. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. It's a, what does Adam think the Gatekeepers documentary is about? The real life story of Rick Moranis's character in Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Zach, what did you watch? 
Oh, I was just going to say, I was looking at my 2012 list. My highest ranked documentary is The Queen of Versailles. Have you seen that? That's oh, an awesome movie. They just, they just made not. an HBO uh, made I, a show about it, too. Exactly. Or, That's what I wanted to yeah. bring up. Is it come out yet? I just saw yeah, the, it's, the it's promotion. It's out. Yeah, it's for, out. Okay. I really want to see it. That's a it's great really documentary. Good. It's really good. Um, okay. So okay. The, hold on. I just oh. I just looked it up. The Gatekeepers. I forgot. It was the movie about, um, about the... Uh, israeli secret agency and them interviewing them all in like declassified uh talks that one was fascinating i forgot yep okay continue okay uh so i also watched a somewhat oscar contender movie this year it is uh eo which i believe is uh, the second best uh movie that purely has letters in a 2022 released after rrr I don't know. I couldn't. I, I was trying to make a joke. I couldn't do it. All right. EO is uh, the story of a donkey named EO. And um, he's played by six different donkeys. IMDb doesn't have the credit, but at the end of the movie, they list all the donkeys that played him. And it's directed by Jersey Skolomowski, who directed a movie that was once in my top like five of a, of a year. He directed a movie called Moonlighting in 1982 with Jeremy Irons, which is a really great movie. Um, but this guy's 84 years old. Maybe he was around when Babylon actually took place. It's possible. Uh, almost as old as we are. And uh, the movie is about this donkey as it goes from owner to owner in Poland. He kind of starts out as a circus performer donkey. And then these animal rights activists come in and they break up the party. All those goddamn animal rights activists. And uh, they, uh, the donkey uh, goes to some, some places. Some places he's kind of free to roam. Other places he's taken to like farms and mistreated and harmed and abused. Um, surprisingly, pr- pretty R-rated movie for a movie about a donkey. We get some friggin' violence in this one. There's some sexuality. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, out there at times, which I kind of liked. The movie is uh, very esoteric, very uh, anti-commercial, which is great. I would imagine that a lot of people will probably not know what the hell they're watching, which I really appreciate. Donkeys are an interesting animal. The movie really makes a point to kind of show that they're not as glamorous or as statuesque as horses. And it almost looks like Eo is looking at the horses in awe and almost wanting to be a horse, but he's not quite as vulgar as like a pig. It's a fascinating movie. If you're at all interested in what I'm talking about, you should nice. see it. If not, stay away from it. Actually, you probably should see it just to be, you know, repelled by it. I think it's kind of awesome. I give it three stars. I even think it's a little better than Al Hazard Balthazar, the Bresson film that it's based on, because it's not a religious allegory. Darren Aronofsky should take note. Uh, it's a good movie. I hope it gets a foreign film nomination, right? International film nomination. So, who's the better donkey? The donkey, Banshees, or EO? Hmm, that's a great question. It's a great year for donkeys. Well, and then you could throw an Andrea Arnold's cow in the mix. Oh yeah, there we go. Yeah, really make it like a bovine competition. I I don't know. That's a that's a really very underrated. I think I'm going to go with the with the the alligator in Babylon. Ah, well played. Well played. Not the elephant. Not Not the elephant. No. (laughs) Elephant's been eating some uh, a lot of stuff. Great yeah. big piles of... All right. <laughs> All right. Well, that's what we've been watching. Let's get into our featured review now. And for that, we are looking at the latest Netflix release released um just days before the new year. So it's 2022 film. It's the latest from Noah Baumbach. It is called White Noise. Yeah, I try not to hide it. Life is good, Jack. 
I hope it lasts forever. Let's watch a sitcom or something. No! Uh, Todd, you're back. You get to start us out. Tell us about White Noise and what you thought. Okay, White Noise is uh, based on a book. It's uh, about a college professor named Jack Gladley, played by Adam Driver, and his wife is Babette, played by Greta Gerwig. And they're kind of quirky. He teaches, like, Hitler studies, but he doesn't speak German. Uh, they have four kids. It takes place in the 80s, uh, and everything sort of comes to a head when a train crashes, causing a, an airborne toxic event, they call it, uh, which makes everyone go into kind of hysteria and really starts to unravel the Gladly family. It's listed on IMDb as a comedy, drama, horror, mystery. It's not funny. It's not scary. It's not intense. There's no drama to speak of. Uh, it's a step out for Bombach. He usually only does his own same tone and style and never has based it on anyone else's material. But unfortunately here, like the step out is like, a step into oncoming traffic like uh the train wreck scene was kind of appropriate adam driver is horribly miscast and kind of horrible overall i think actually every actor is kind of bad especially greta gerwig who i've adored for 15 years uh the movie is smug but it's not smart enough to actually be smug uh the direction is all over the place it's superficial and unfunny the there are so many like montages and outdated talking points and stupid dialogue I, my mind just kept wandering whenever I was trying to say something. If, if this was to work, it would have needed like the full miniseries treatment. There are a lot of ideas and a lot of moving parts, but those points, parts don't really amount to anything because it seems rushed and trivial and annoying. I can't imagine what the novel was like. Uh, it's like a less focused, unhinged, snooty version of like a failed Charlie Kaufman script. Even if you do those off, it's not going to matter because it doesn't make any sense anyway. I'm giving it one star, and, but and like Space Jam, A New Legacy, I'm willing to get talked down to zero. <laughs> wow okay all right that's where we're at on this one so far uh zach you go next yeah well okay so the thing is what, what's fascinating about this movie is that it has a 62 percent on rotten tomatoes and every single review i've read of it has been by someone who at least claims to have read the book and I guess the book is some, you know, great American novel of the 1980s. I think it's kind of just like a book uh, that um, basically white college age uh, dudes read in the 1980s and 90s to impress chicks. I'm imagining Noah Baumbach did. I imagine Rick Linklater probably did too. Maybe Wes Anderson. I don't know. You know, it maybe, you know, it impresses somebody. It doesn't impress me. This movie is a slog. I really wanted to give it the benefit of the doubt because it is so different. And I mean, man, it, it takes some big swings. I mean, we talked about some big dick swings on our last podcast. This movie takes some swings in the wrong direction. Um, the, the dialogue in this doesn't feel like the way people talk at all. It feels like some sort of weird SNL sketch, but almost like a foreign movie without subtitles in the words of Nicolas Cage. It, it's like, it's not English. And I think what DeLillo and Bombach would say is that it's not meant to be significant dialogue, but that's just sort of existential postmodern bullshit. I, I, I really don't care. Um, the movie has some weird, uh, oddly Clark Griswold vibes with the station wagon uh, leaping over the uh, river. Um, it also has some real uh, don't look up vibes with it's just a cacophony of bad characters and poorly lit, strange sets. 
Um, it feels like a, a, a strange mixture of like David O. Russell and David Cronenberg at times. It feels like if this movie had been released in theaters, it would be a huge box office bomb. Like it, it would put, it would make Babylon look like Avatar, quite frankly. Um, I feel like one of the problems here is Bombach. Like, I love Marriage Story. It was so disappointing watching this movie. It just reminded me of what a great movie Marriage Story is. I think Bombach is best when he is more straightforward, when he's dealing with real emotions, not this pretentious bullshit. I feel like this is a movie that the Jeff Daniels character in The Squid and the Whale would really like, and a movie that Miles and Sideways would hate. It would be like the scene when him and Maya are listening to the wine lecture, and she's like, thumbs down, move on. That's the way I felt about this movie. Even the LCD sound system song at the end, their first song in five years, was it takes so long to get there it's so not worth it um there's some stuff in here that's a little reminiscent of like todd haynes is safe but in such a bad way and you know I, these issues about nuclear panic and pop culture and academia and the war on drugs and tv is addictive i mean that was passe 40 freaking years ago man come on wake up i don't know why this movie was made i don't know what its purpose and existence was bombach was the wrong choice for it i would have liked to see someone like boots riley maybe adapt it that would have been more interesting um, I, it's different and it's not the whale. So I'm giving it one and a half stars, which I guess I also gave the whale, but it took a big swing and it was a miss, but Hey, Netflix, if you want to give me $80 million to, to fund my project, I'm, I'm all ears. Yeah. Because his Myra stories was so <laughs> successful. They had to give him a big budget for another movie. Well, I hope, I, I hope that, that, that uh, maybe Noah and Greta funneled some of the money into the production of Barbie. All right, Adam, what about you? You guys are totally wrong about this movie. It's what I want to say, but you guys are right. You guys uh, are completely right. Uh, this movie is a mess. Uh, I really was confused about where we were going. This is only my second Noah Baumbach film that I've seen. Uh, I saw Marriage Story. Loved that movie. Uh, great film. Uh, White Noise is just... a yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what this really is. It's so many different genres mixed together. I think the one thing I really liked about it, where I think that I would like to see a Noah, Noah Baumbach horror film, because that one sequence with the Adam Driver with his uh, his nightmare, I guess that other person like next in that dark room, like that kind of was effective as a horror film. But do I want to? Is, is he? Would he do a good job? I don't know. I, that one scene was effective, but that was, everything else was kind of really bad you, you take pretty talented actors and put them in the background with like no dialogue like andre 3000 was in this for some reason jody turner smith was in here for a brief time um sam uh, gold was in here and i think you have you have discount uh sam naval nabola which basically is jesse eisenberg but like the new <laughs> it's essentially it what it kind of creepy it looked like that's did he just write this for Jesse Eisenberg, but he's obviously too old now. So it's like they find this guy to play him. That's it re reminded me of that so much. Um, yeah. Adam driver. I, I definitely feel it was miscasted like what Todd was saying. And I don't know. I just felt like it was such a mixture of genres where you couldn't keep, it was like, couldn't keep its focus on what it wanted to do. And Zach mentioned, don't look up. I rather watch that movie again, because at least I can laugh at how maybe bad it is. Uh, this one, I'm just kind of left bored. So I'm about once I was at one and a half stars. I think I put on my letterbox, but I think I'm going to, I'm going to go even lower. I want to go one star here. So yeah, it's not good. <laughs> I had no idea I was going to be the high one on this when I said two stars, but uh, I, I'm at two stars. <laughs> there we go. This. 
uh, and uh, I I feel a lot of the same stuff as as you guys do. I I don't know. I wasn't. I I was intrigued by it the whole time. I didn't quite know what was going on. It. Uh, but yeah, it, it's not great. I will say I, I thought it was kind of funny that we had to have a second movie that uh, started with a Don Cheadle monologue about crashes. Um, I, I thought that was kind of interesting I didn't think about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it was the first thing I thought of as he's, he's up. I'm like, we're starting a movie with Don Cheadle talking about car crashes. <laughs> I think I've seen this movie before. Um, Adam driver was interesting. I don't know. I feel like this is what his character from Annette grows up to be. Um, <laughs> that's a good call. That's better than your, your crash take because that's, there's some Annette vibes in this movie also that there, you're just watching is. it and you don't know what you're watching. Exactly. Uh, I felt Greta Gerwig in this looked like some weird combination of Kate McKinnon and Kristen Wiig. Um, Ooh, like if you smash yeah, those two together, so you get Greta Gerwig in this movie. Um, the daughter looked like a female Daniel Radcliffe. I don't know. And then the the son the son looked like or sounded like Jesse Eisenberg. It, like it almost sounded like his voice was just dubbed over the top of it. I, the, these were the things I was thinking about while I was watching it because I don't know. I felt like I didn't really have to pay attention to what was going on in the movie, and I could kind of track what was going to happen next. Um. Yeah, I'm I'm going two stars. Uh. Yeah, it sounds like we all just kind of hated it, though. <laughs> so you join us, join us in the one star party there, Terry. Just do it. Come on. No, I'm going to keep it at two. I'll keep it at two. Right, I, definitely quad I was hoping someone was going to go below me so that I could move it to zero stars. <laughs> you should just do it anyways. I mean, the fact that you are willing to be convinced. Well, I don't know. But I mean, that, that makes it my worst movie of the year. And I don't <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's worse than, you know, the bubble or Jeepers Capers. No, but no, 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 no. I, have I mean, a, it is worse than those. Uh, <laughs> the only movie I have lower than it <laughs> is Thor: Love and Thunder. Um, nah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> I have it as my eleventh worst movie of the year. I, I actually think I'm closer to two stars than one star because I can't pretend I understand what the movie is trying to say. I can't pretend that I understand what the purpose was of this apparently great novel. And I think it's an interesting sort of like remnant of a different era. And maybe Bombach was interested in it with COVID. I mean, that's the only th possible reason I could see the overlap between the airborne toxic illness in this movie and COVID. Um, and it's not necessarily boring. It's a slog. It's just fascinating to watch. It is a train wreck. Uh, and um, literally. It's, it's like it, if it, they gave Donald Coffin a bunch of money to make a movie. Like, <laughs> it comes out as this. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Donald Kaufman's failed movie, White Noise. Yeah, All right. I was going to say White think... Noise, another name for our podcast, but I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say part part of like postmodernism is like the death of the author, right? Like it's not about how something is written; it's all white noise. I think is the point of this movie. Yet this movie is so indulgent and so pretentious that you can't help but think of the author who wrote it or the author who's creating it. All it does is draw attention to the authorship. And then my other question was not as interesting questions as Terry had, but I will ask the question. Do you think Don Cheadle's character liked Elvis, uh, the movie, the Baz Luhrmann movie? And oh. my answer to that is probably not. But maybe he did. I guess probably I'm going to say he didn't because uh, he was not consulted on it. That's true. 
I'm just glad that grocery store had a butcher shop. I'm glad that after the uh, that little pandemic there, they had a the butcher open still. So I like cool. the idea of a power rankings for grocery stores and movies. This one would maybe make my honorable mentions because there's a lot of freaking grocery store in this movie more, more than I think a lot more than I think I, a lot of people were expecting. Yeah, in the dance sequence, they do waste a lot of plastic bags though. Yeah, not environmental yeah. safe. Not it was the eighties. It was the eighties. I thought for sure Terry was giving me three stars because of the it ends in a song and dance thing. <laughs> no, I, I felt like it was the the least earned song and dance number to end a movie like uh, ever. They're like, oh, they're trying to they're trying to get me to uh, get this movie a positive. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, well, Quad declined on White Noise. It is available on Netflix. Uh, if anything we said sounds interesting, check out Bombbox and other movies. Is what I say. Like Margot yeah. at the Wedding is a great movie. Greenberg, I think, is a great movie. Like he he makes good, really good movies. This one is not. This is a bad swing. Yeah, I'm not as high on on him. I, I love Marriage Story, but his other ones, I don't know. He he takes a lot of work to get into. I feel like at times. All right, let's move yeah. on, because now we are moving into our deep dive, and it is our first deep dive of 2023. And last year we decided that, uh, or we we started the year off right with a with a cager, and we decided that this is a a tradition we need to keep going so celebrating its 20th anniversary we are diving into the cager with matchstick men just try to be as honest and open with them as possible right you're a con man a con artist wow flim flam man matchstick man take your pick and that guy frank he's my partner teach me something rule number one never work near where you live don't rule number swear. two don't write anything down <laughs> you regret it Exposing her to that. Well, you know, it was a little, it made me feel a little, you know, I was a little, I really liked it. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it's one of the few movies, I, or no, I don't know about few, but it is one of the one of the handful of movies on our website where we are quad four stars. So I know we all love this movie. So this is going to make for a fun conversation. Uh, Todd probably knows this movie the best. So we decided he probably needed to host trivia just to give us all a fair chance. The king of the cagers. So king of the cagers. I, I like that. He's the king of the cager, the cager king. Um, Isn't there a new Nicolas Cage movie coming out in the next couple weeks? I mean, it's a new year. There's got to be at least four of them coming out soon. I think he, I think it's a, is it a Sundance movie? I, I don't know. Uh, I, I swear I the saw it's like a Western or something. Yeah, it's a Western. Um, I'll have to look it up. But yeah, it comes out in just like the next couple weeks, I think. All right, Todd, tell the us about uh, what we're doing for trivia here. Uh, well, since there's all of us, I feel like we should like hold up the answers. Although for some of these, it could be difficult, but we'll we'll make it work. So we'll okay. do them all do all of you at the same time. Okay. All right. Um. So I have 13 questions worth 20 points. Oh my god. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's not an easy movie to make questions about. Uh, no. But uh, we'll I was figure about this that out. as I was watching it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Number one, it's worth two points. Um, what are the first and last words of the movie? I hate these going questions. there. Anything? Nothing but guesses. Um, Zach says, so, "Uno, doy, tres." Yeah, uh, those are. Well, I mean, I'm, uh, I put the right. and day. Okay. I don't know. Uh, those are not correct, Terry. Yeah. 
uh, Uno and Dad. Good guess, Terry. Um, those are both wrong. Uh, it's uh, it's actually one. Wait, because he, he's actually speaking in English on the first. Oh, first is the first one in English? And oh, uh, yeah, the last I word is know. sir. It's said by the uh, the the uh, the cashier at the <laughs> grocery store. Very important character. I almost feel like a half a point for Uno because it is like the right word, kind of. <laughs> so I'll give Terry and Terry and Zach a half a point. Um, and the next question: What are the three potential prizes that were offered to Mrs. Schaefer in the con? Okay, got what do you got, Terry? I've got two of them. Uh, Paris and a Chevy Blazer. Those are both correct. Mm. Adam says a diamond necklace, car, and a trip to the Camdens, but that's wrong. Oh uh, yeah, I think so the necklace is right. Diamond the necklace, necklace is right. right. That's the third one. And the car is right. It was a Chevy Blazer. I'll give you credit for that, I guess. And Chevy Blazer, Chevy Blazer trip to Paris trip to and Paris cash. And cash. So that got two. So you guys collectively got all of them. And she didn't remember if it was France or Italy, but uh, they said France. Wait, so what was it? It's a a Chevy Blazer, a diamond necklace, and a trip to France. Oh, okay. Yeah, because Frank says Paris on the phone. And then she says Paris or Italy. I don't remember which one. Yeah, France or Italy. I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, Okay, the next question. What is Roy's original doctor's name? I would not have gotten this question had I not just watched it. I don't think I ever realized his previous doctor's name. He say, he, they say it twice. Uh, okay, what do you got? Terry. Terry says Gelman. I mean, Gelman. it's a decent guess, but it's not it. It sounds like a doctor. Dr. Gelman? I know. I've only seen this movie twice, but I, I just put do- Dr. Friedrich. That's wrong. That is wrong. And Zach <laughs> knows it is Mancuso. 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 That's right. Uh, what was Frank drinking when he was calling Roy over and over again throughout the day? Ooh. I'm just going to say, I, I don't know. Okay. Zach does uh, not get a point. Terry, what are you, what are you about to guess. put up? Surge. <laughs> that would have been something. Uh, <laughs> he was, uh, he was drinking Knob Creek, um, uh, whiskey. Nice. Um, the bottle is very noticeable, but uh, I never, I honestly, I never noticed until I watched it this time. Um, wouldn't have been a great, I, I think I get a half point for Surge because that would have been like a true <laughs> sign of the times. I shouldn't, but we'll, we'll see. Um, <laughs> um, Angela's mom used to say she was lucky that she only got Roy's what? <laughs> All right. Uh, Terry says, no, that is not right. Uh, this is, Adam says elbows, what? Elbows. Elbows. Is it okay? Is, is, that, is that what that's like, a, if, Idris el- Elbas? That's what it looked like. Elbow. It has elbows? a W in it. <laughs> oh no, no it's a, it there's a zero. Okay, well, yeah, the, that is correct. Elbows is right. So Adam and Zach both get a point. Um, what is the name of the strip club that Frank says he found Chuck at? I have a lot of theories about this strip club. <laughs> It's one of the more fascinating PG-13 rated strip clubs in, in movie history, I think. <laughs> okay, Zach, what do you got? Spearmint Rhino is the correct oh, answer. Yeah. Terry says Mustang. Oh, no, I, knew it was a, I knew it was an animal. That sounds more like a, the name of a stripper. Um, 
<laughs> I do not have an answer. Surge would have been a good name too. Strip club. Uh, okay. What is the key to knowing if the spaghetti noodles are ready in Italy? All right. What do you got? Uh, sticks to the wall. That's correct. Sticks to surface. Yeah. Stick to the wall. Yep. It, yeah. He says um, you throw it in it and it, it and it sticks. That's what Roy says. Uh, so you all get a point. Uh, where does Angela claim that she was when she snuck back into Roy's place? Uh, okay, five, four, three, go, okay, go for it. Uh, friend's house, arcade, not drinking or getting high, arcade, yes, that is the correct answer, Zach and Terry, here's an arcade. Another sign of the times. What's an arcade? <laughs> yeah, what is an arcade? Uh, what is the cue for Angela to enter into the airport con? I know that. Well, whatever. Okay. Uh, Terry says, cough, tugs at ear. That is correct. Mustang. <laughs> <laughs> and pull at the ear and cough. Okay, so Adam and Terry. Or, yeah, I did a point. <laughs> Mustang. That was a good answer, though. Um, this is going to be almost impossible. What are the five things listed on the awning of the DeSoto Pharmacy? Oh, my God. Oh my God. What the hell? <laughs> if you just name things, you might get some of them. I don't know. Uh, Zach says breakfast, bread, deli, dessert, and meat. Uh, some of those are close. Uh, Mustang, Surge, <laughs> Paris, Jimmy Blazer, no, and Drugs. Never mind. See, Drugs. That would have... Interesting. No, um, it says um, sandwiches, malts, ice cream fountain, sundays, and coffee. So three three things involving ice cream, which I think was probably the point. Um, what is the actual name of the prefix pills? This is the third to last question. Currently, Zach is winning seven and a half to five and a half for Terry and five for Adam. Okay. What do we have? Terry. All right. I don't know the name, but I know the description. Manipas soy supplements. Uh, I could give you a half a point for that. Yeah, that, that's the description that's on the box. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it has a <laughs> Mustang soy supplement. It's <laughs> <laughs> M-word. Okay, I guess yeah. I'll go. Yeah, it's another half a point. What's I guess. that white noise supplement that he she that's had, it. too? That's all I was going to put down as a joke. But Oh, uh, yeah, dry on or whatever. <laughs> that, dry on, that's yeah. funny. Yeah. Uh, it was called Suplifem. Suplifem. Okay. It's, uh, it says that on the box too, and that's what the actual pharmacist is. Uh, PDF? Uh, yeah. Is that what it said? P. It I thought something. it said PDF, and I thought this is very early 2000s with the PDF. That's what <laughs> I thought. PDF on the little yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, what kind of dog does Angela and her boyfriend get? Okay, go for it. Uh, German Shepherd, Terry says, German Shepherd, Adam, and La Lab, not German Shepherd. That is incorrect. That's the opposite. Wow. Dang she it. A German Shepherd and not a Lab. Uh, so that would have been her, that, that was his first guess. So Adam and Terry get a point. It is now seven for Terry, eight for uh, Zach, and six for Adam. And we have one question left, and it is uh, whoever gets closest to the answer. How much movie did this movie make at the domestic box office? How much money? Is that what you meant? Yeah. How how much much you said how much movie? 
How much mo- how much money did the movie make? <laughs> movie did the money make? Domestic box office. The one trivia question I wrote down that it possibly could be it was the ice cream. And you didn't ask it. Oh, <laughs> what kind of ice York, cream? Oh, ice yeah. How did you not ask that? Fudge. I wrote that down. It too. No, sounded too New, easy. New York super ch- uh, fudge chunk. Ben and oh, Jerry's. chocolate. chocolate. Got it. Yeah. See, <laughs> and then that's why, because you all knew the answer. Uh, okay, well, what is your, what is guys? Uh, Terry says 63 million. Zach says 53 million. And Adam says, is that 45 million? No, 66. 66, 66. million? Yeah. So whoever had the lowest number of those was Zach, I think. Yeah. Uh, the correct answer was thirty-six million nine hundred six thousand four hundred sixty. Wow. So Zach gets the point. The more money than white noise will make. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> it was, I saw it was second at the opening box. It's opening weekend behind Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Just kind of nice. sad. Future so up. Zach wins trivia nine to seven to six. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, not the easiest trivia, but you know, whatever. That was good though. That was fun. That was fun. All right. How many well, of those questions would you have missed any of those questions had you not just rewatched it? Because you're the well, yeah, I would I mean the awning thing. I I may have taken note mentally of like one of them or something. I don't know. It would it would <laughs> I definitely would not have faced that quiz. No, that's that's true. All right. Well, uh Zach, you won trivia. Uh, I'm going to let you start and tell us uh, your experience with Matchstick Men. All right. Well, I have a very interesting experience with Matchstick Men. Uh, I remember when this movie came out in 2003, I remember seeing the trailer for it, and I thought it looked like trash. This is the one rare example of a movie trailer looking really bad, although subsequently I've changed my mind on it. I actually think it's an okay trailer. It's just very conventional. You can kind of see in the trailer that, oh, this is how the studio is pitching this movie. It's a sweet romantic uh, sweet family drama but you also got the heist element it's just it felt too like cookie cutter but then i remember uh, watching ebert and roper's review of it it was a rare like early review of it before the movie came out as a very dry season i think it came out in september early september and ebert was so enthusiastic about it and i was like damn i'm in like right after adaptation like let's do this shit and so i saw it pretty quickly after loved it i think it is a tremendous movie um, it currently ranks as my number one movie of 2003, and I stand by it because it's an awesome rewatch. And it's one of those movies that it's totally inexplicable why people didn't love it. I don't, you know, $36 million is ridiculous. Number two at the box office behind freaking Once Upon a Time Mexico is outrageous. Like, this movie's not streaming anywhere. But even back in the day, like, it didn't get any nominations. Are you kidding me? Johnny Depp for Pirates of the Caribbean over Nicolas Cage is it is one of the worst decisions in Oscar history. Couple that with Johnny Depp getting nominated over Paul Giamatti the next year. I, I forever cast off Johnny Depp as an actor. I guess it's not his fault. But uh, I think this is a, a great movie. It's my favorite Ridley Scott movie. It's the most un- unusual Ridley Scott movie for sure. Watching it again, uh, it's just a reminder that it's so well executed. It is like it's a, it's a perfect Hollywood movie. It's a movie that is unexpected. It's funny. It's sort of a thriller at times. It's very moving. It's sweet. It's sort of a fairy tale at the end. And at the center of it is the man himself, Nicolas Cage, giving, I think, his greatest performance because it is such a difficult role to pull off. He's got to be lovable, but he's also got to be a con artist. He's got to be someone who's neurotic, but also someone who can get under control. Uh, and someone who is just inherently someone you got to root for the, for the whole time, even though he's does despicable things like rob old ladies and leave his ex-wife with a broken eye. Uh, 
Uh, it is um, a great performance, and it's a great movie, and I still love it. And uh, I, Netflix should get this movie. Why don't they spend $80 million to get the rights to this movie so that people can watch it and it can go back in the culture the way it should have been 20 years ago? There we go. Let the people decide. Exactly. Get it into bookstores. All right. Uh, well, uh, Zach, you, you forgot to mention it currently ranks as your number 78 of all time. Now, that could be a little high, but I do love this movie. <laughs> when this movie is on, it is on. I mean, it is, it's so good and fun to watch, and I defy anyone to start this movie and turn it off because it is a breezy two hours. All right, Todd, it is your number 24 of all time, but your number two of 2003. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh, well, yeah, I have number one, I have a monster, which is a, the other end of the spectrum. But I mean, I it, it honestly could go either way. It's like Matchstick Man to me is 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 like the movie that I probably would say is one of my the, my favorite movies to just put on. Like I think I've, I've probably seen it at least thirty times, and it's it's one of the it's, it's like one of the most watchable movies. I always put in the category of of a uh, Boiler Room, Rounders, and Matchstick Men are in their own category of watchability. And uh, I I don't know. I the first time I watched it, I think it was with you, Terry, right? And we oh yeah yeah we watched it, and then we watched the whole thing again just to like get all of the what all the long con was and like and, and putting all the pieces together i've only ever done that with two movies and the other one we deep dove at one point it was sin city um but uh this is it, it's a brilliant movie it is no ridley scott dna in it which i love because i hate ridley scott <laughs> and i i i remember the little blurb on rotten tomatoes of this movie was from ebert was just like the screenplay is one of oscar caliber and i was like but why did he say like 20 like 10 words to say like that it's just like is oscar worthy uh but it wasn't in his top 10 of the year which kind of was sad uh i i, I love this movie i don't know anybody who loves this movie as much as the four of us or i mean we all give it four stars nobody ever talks about this movie i was talking about it the other day to somebody and they're and and i knew that they had seen it and they're just like oh yeah that movie and i'm like that's really sad because this movie rules every part of it it really moves. It's really funny. Nick Cage is given 110%. And Sam Rockwell, in I think the first like real great role that he ever had, he was borderline Oscar worthy for this too. And I and Allison Lohman is a, is an absolute treasure. She should have had a better career. I, I I love everything about it. Obviously, number 24 of all time. I, I have no problems with that ranking still. All right. Adam, you have it as an, your number two of 2003, but not in your top 100. And you said you've seen it twice. So tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so this is my second time watching it. The first time, I believe Todd recommended it to me to watch. Oh. <clears throat> so I, I watched it off of him based off his recommendation. Absolutely, really, really loved it. I think I watched it the, one of the first years I came, like, you would have to go back. Whenever I joined the website, I think around there is when I kind of first watched it. Um, so rewatching now, I was like, I forget how good this movie is. This movie is really uh solid it should probably have been in my top 100 as well it's nicholas cage is on fire in this movie sam rockwell's great allison only is great uh, basically everybody is so hard to like do like a little miniature recast of it and uh yeah it's number two for me because monster is so good uh and lord of the rings return of the king is my third favorite film uh, that's just kind of childhood <laughs> okay boo you but, whore <laughs> bullshit man <laughs> but the, the, every time I watch this movie, I always piss blood. Um, no, <laughs> it's bad. Anyway, uh, no, but you, you mentioned Johnny Depp knocked him out of the Oscar race. He also, you know, 
number two at the box office behind another Johnny Depp movie, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, which I'll be doing a daily notes on that one. I also really like that one, though. But uh, Matchstick Men does come close. It's just, it's a really entertaining watch that I knew the twist was coming. My watch, my wife and I watched this again. And the first time we we watched it together the first time, so we didn't see it coming. And again, we still missed the long con of it. I think that's just proves how great the screenplay is. It still leaves you guessing, even though you kind of know what's already going to happen. So it's a really solid, solid movie that I need to do a better job watching more of. Yeah, I this is my number eight of 2003. And I looked at that last night and I was like, how is it number eight? And I looked and I'm like, okay, th- there may be one or two movies I would, I might put below that, but it, it, it might be about right. But even then, I love this movie. It, it's it's an amazing uh, it's an amazing movie, and I still remember that first time we watched it, Todd, because we did not see that twist coming at all. And I, I it was like one of those we were sitting in our basement watching this thing. It was one of those where we like audibly went, "Wait, what? No, no!" And like we were yelling at the TV by the end of it, and then we were trying. I feel like I think it was one of those we were trying to piece it together. Like, wait, but what about this? And, and what about that? And the DVD was one of those that automatically restarted itself. And so it just started playing it again. We're like, okay, we're just going to let this go because we're going to start to see some stuff. And we started to piece it all together. I felt like this time, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I felt like this time watching it, you can see, uh, knowing that it's coming, you can see some obvious trademarks of, oh, yep, I see that and I see that and I see that. But even then, the more you watch it, you realize just how deep this thing went and how long it took to put all this together. And it's it's just it's just great. It's just great. Yeah, uh, like one of the things you're, you're talking about is like when the psychiatrist first calls Roy, he's calling him like smoking a pipe, sitting on like his back deck wearing like some weird hat. And I'm like, yeah, he's chess. yeah, yeah, playing chess. He's He's definitely not on the job there. Like, I mean, like, but that is something I never noticed, like, the first time I watched it, you know? I, did, I didn't even catch that part. I mean, just, just the, just also the idea that I think one of the first things Frank says to him in this movie is he mentions this, this plan oh, he's got. And so it's like, all already, like, right away, the first thing Frank says this is already in play. Yeah. He said, I don't do the long con. Yeah. And I was like, that's yeah. well, like, yeah, obviously the, talking like about the, the other one, but words. it was foreshadowing them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. but, but he, he's mentioning this guy in like the first scene we see between, between Frank and Roy, that it's already getting, yeah. getting out there that this is going to happen. So, uh, yeah, just a, just a great movie. One of the best twists you could come up with. And I agree. There's, like no Ridley Scott DNA in this, which is one of the things that makes it so great. And Nicolas Cage gives such a, a, an interesting performance here because he is, he is caging it up at times, but then he is so subtle at times too, with the ticks and the, and the little nuances of his character that work on, on such a small level. But then he has those moments where he has his freakouts and uh, and and that works on it works on that level too. So it it's like the perfect cage roll. Yeah, I, going back a little bit to the whole twist ending. I remember even the first time I watched it, I remember thinking that's a really cool ending. I don't know if that's going to age well because the more you think about it, the more 
elaborate and perhaps unrealistically elaborate that whole scheme must have been for Frank. But the movie still works because smartly, I think, the filmmakers know that that's not really the, the the core of the movie. Had the movie ended with the big revelation, that's you know it's a solid movie. The core of the movie is a relationship between Nicolas Cage and Alison Lohman, and this is what Ebert also pointed out in his review. That last scene is magnificent, and it's a great way to tie up the characters, not just only to give Nicolas Cage a happy ending, but also to kind of underscore what is so great about the movie, which is how she unleashes something in him that calms him down and, and and removes his anxiety, which I think from just like watching the movie from like a mental health standpoint, it's like fascinating mm -hmm. to watch. And um, that to me, even watching it this time, 20 years later, is I think the, the best parts of the movie, not so much the con. I mean, the con is interesting, it's engaging, but like when I, when I think of this movie, I think of Nicolas Cage and Alison Lohman, and that is a great relationship. They have great chemistry. And that last scene is just a kind of a beautiful, almost deep sort of scene that looks at those characters in a in a more complex way than I think a lot of kind of uh, uh, genre films would. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, because she it, actually saw him as a father, and because you, you can only imagine what her actual life was exactly. like when she could just like go on her first con and not and never go home, basically for like a couple of months or whatever. It's one of those things where it's like, I mean, yeah, it was, it's a, it's a, obviously she's like the miracle of the movie and of the con because she, she's the one that that's able to make everything work. Cause she's the one that's always with him and pushing him in the right directions. And of course she's the one that gets screwed out of the payout or whatever. But what I want to know is how much actually was getting like how much she got, because like, if you're talking like well over a million dollars and you're talking maybe a few people that are getting in on it, then <laughs> what did he actually pay her? Well, is it like that's the kind of question you start asking questions like that, then the movie, I'm not gonna say it falls apart, but it gets less interesting. Like, I wonder, like, you know, this whole thing started with him knocking his pills down the sink. Like, how did Frank control that? But we can get into that a little bit later. I also want to say something. I'll just reveal one of my conspiracy or if there was a sequel already. I feel like a sequel to this movie could have been maybe Frank and Angela just choosing to live as father and daughter because they were both happier in their lives when they had each other. And maybe it's a shoplifters type situation where they're just a pretend family. Cause I think they would have been down with that. She's she also like in her twenties though. She's, she's definitely not a kid. She can't well, it's be true, but she calls like him dad. At, she even says that, you know, I am an adult, but she still calls him dad. I, th I think there's something yep. really sweet about that. That's a good point. That's a good point. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, let's go a little more into this and let's get to our Mount Rushmore. And uh, our Mount Rushmore, I think Todd was the final say on this one, is Mount Rushmore of con men. Uh, and I, I, I think I texted you last night as I was starting to think about this. So this really should have been a power rankings, but uh, we're going to try and narrow it down to uh, to four here. And uh, and see what we can come up with. So let's uh, let's start with Adam. Uh, who is your con man? You are going to submit to our Mount Rushmore here. All right. So I got this Mount Rushmore right before we started. So I've uh, been thinking about it, uh, but I think I thought thought of a good one. I'm going to go with Min from Parasite, the Sun. That infiltrates mm. the Park family, and then also brings his uh, family along with him. 
on this kind of long Kong trying to infiltrate this family. Not necessarily a conventional pick, but it, it, it I think it's I think it works for the uh, talk. It's basically trying to con their way into the family and about their their status and their class too. So I think it works. So yeah, I'm gonna go yeah with with him. So yeah, that that's a that's a great pick. I had the parasite family on my list too. Yeah, ones to consider. So we're we're, we're saying like our what what's the fifth one? The Taft. He's that's that's Roy, right? I, I think so. Yeah, let, let's okay. Roy. Roy is the Roy is the the non-negotiable. Our, yes. our Taft pick. Uh, Zach, you're next. Uh, okay. Well, this was a tough one because I don't really know what a con man is, but uh, there's a <laughs> lot of different definitions of a con man. My first instinct was to go with like William H Macy from Fargo, but he's not. He's a he's a bad car. He's a he's a corrupt car salesman. I don't know if that necessarily qualifies. As a con artist, he doesn't actively go out and con people as much as you know mess up you know their their sales, their auto sales. So I really was thinking like strictly people that con other people. And so my uh, it's excuse me if this is a little derivative, but I went with something that a movie that I think of when I watch this movie, which is Peter Bo- the late great Peter Bogdanovich's film Paper Moon with Tatum O'Neill and Ryan O'Neill mm. uh, and. I think there's a lot of similarities between this movie and Paper Moon, also a father-daughter relationship. She actually is his daughter in the movie and in real life, not incidentally. And uh, it is a movie that is set in like the 1930s and Depression era Kansas. And they they con people by selling Bibles. And like what's so fun about the movie, it has, you know, the scene in Matchstick Men where he's basically telling Dr. Klein, Doc, she was like a pro. And, uh, you know, that's exactly what happens in Paper Moon. Like Ryan O'Neill, basically, you know, he's this con artist for a living. He gets usurped by his eight-year-old daughter. She does a better job than he does. And eventually, by the time that they get to going around these poor families in in the Dust Bowl, she is actually starting to call the shots. There's one scene where, like, she kind of says, well, you know, this person doesn't really get deserve deserve to be conned, so we're going to pull back a little bit. Oh, this is a rich lady. I'm going to con her. I'm going to indulge a little bit more. It's a really great father-daughter dynamic. Of course, there's a lot of off-screen stuff with with them, and I think they were on a reality show a few years ago. But it's actually a really great movie from the 70s, and uh, they, they are obviously quintessential movie con artists. I love how you turned your uh, your Nick Cage impression into Sean Penn from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That was that was nice there. A little Keanu Reeves in there too. There's yeah. always a bit of Keanu Reeves in my Nicolas Cage impression. I'm not Simon Helberg, okay? I can't. I knew Billy Baldwin though. <laughs> That's not bad. That's not bad. That's not bad. <laughs> All right, uh, Todd. I think I know where you're going with this one, but uh, go there. Well, if we were including TV, it would be uh, my my boy uh, Saul Goodman. Uh, but, oh, of course. You know, but uh, Better Call Saul, unfortunately, is not a movie, and he's not in El Camino. Um, <laughs> I I also do. I also was thinking about going with uh, Mike Mancuso, which is Joe Mantegna in House of Games, just because David Mamet always has them, and because it's Mancuso, and that's the name of the Roy's original doctor. That could not have been by mistake. <laughs> that was uh, it was uh, Frank William Abagnale Jr. and Senior, really. Uh, probably more senior because senior is like he's so slight. It's Chris, it's Christopher Walken, you know, must have slipped right off your neck. I, I don't know. I mean, Catch Me If You Can is one of the great movies yeah, of all time. It's in my top 100. Uh, the only weird thing about it is that it's, uh, it's a true story. <laughs> so yeah, he actually is a a, a real life criminal. Uh, but yeah, I mean, 
everything about that movie. And we, we, Terry and I simultaneously texted a, a gif of, of um, Frank William Avenel Jr. on Christmas Merry to our group Christmas! text. So, you know, that, there's that. There we go. Yeah. At the exact same time. Exactly. Yeah, it, it was quite weird. I was like, are they in the same room yet? Or what's going on? No, no, we weren't. Uh, okay, that's where I thought you were gonna go. Um, all right, so are we t- are we talking best con men or favorite con men? Because those yeah. are those could be two different things. I think favorite. Favorite. Oh yeah, then I, I could have went with I could could have said another one too. One of my I, other favorite uh, of mine. Yeah, oh man. You should go with Have the other one from nineteen seventy three, Terry. Come on. Uh, yeah, I I could. Uh, you know what? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Danny Ocean from the Ocean's movies. George Cherry Clooney. Yeah, I mean, there we go. It's a good one. Same screenwriter as Master Gun. Uh, there you go. There you go. Uh, it. I mean, you could go with the whole the whole Ocean's crew, but uh, but yeah, Danny Ocean, dreaming up that whole thing, and that that took a while to put together. All of them, but the first one's the best one. Um, yeah, that's who I'm going with. It's a good one. So we like got that. we got the we got Parasite, we got Paper Moon, we got Catch Me If You Can, we got Ocean's Eleven, and Matchstick Men, and and Matchstick Men. The other ones I was thinking of, I, I'm assuming Todd, you're you're referring to the Sting. Yeah, yeah, of course. Paul Newman, especially, he's Paul, like the the king. Yeah, I was thinking that, Paul Newman one. and the Hustler. Yeah, Fast Eddie, I had down to. We're talking. Yeah, he, I guess he is sort cool of. Right. We're talking. Con con man. Man. What? Maybe not. Cool is Cool Hand Luke a con man? Why does he get sent to jail? I can't remember. I haven't seen that one. I don't remember either. If we were talking favorite con con men, I, I've got a couple of bad ones that I could have mentioned, like uh, Bialystok and Bloom from the producers. They're pretty horrible con men. Mm. Um, also, uh, Professor Marvel slash the Wizard in Wizard of Oz. Yeah, Wizard of Oz. Pretty, yeah. pretty yeah. horrible conman there. Uh, another one that I thought about going with is uh, is Bradley Cooper's character in Nightmare Alley. Is a pretty yeah. Pretty I wrote down that man. that character to Tyrone Power and Bradley Cooper are both great at that. Yeah. Um, Would Mrs. And- Doubtfire be a conman because she Ooh. infiltrates a family? No, she's a woman. Well, con woman. Yeah. He's a she. He's a she. She. He's a she. 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 Half man, half woman. That's a deep dive episode. Let's go. All right, I had three more written down. I want to mention before you guys can mention more. I got uh, Christian Bale in American Hustle. Uh, that was a good one. I thought of um, Will Smith and Margot Robbie in Focus. Uh, that movie was a lot more fun than it deserved to be. And then one that I think Todd and I have seen. I don't know if anybody else has, but Edward Burns in Confidence. Remember that one, Todd? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do, but I don't remember what it was about. I don't okay. remember much about it. All I remember is the very first shot of the movie is Edward Edward Burns laying on his back, and the first line is "So I'm dead." <laughs> <laughs> that's all. That's all I remember. It's like the beginning of American Beauty. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> you guys have any others you were thinking about? Yeah, I got, uh, well, speaking of another Johnny Depp movie, Sweeney Todd, you got Sasha Baron Cohen in that movie as the the, um, the guy who sells the elixirs. Pirelli. To, uh, Pirelli yeah, that one. Uh, Paul Newman, the hustler, would be another one. And then the Mrs. Doubtfire it was a serious question. Would that be He's considered? a voice actor, not a con man. 
but he he puts a con on Sally for, Field. But he put looks out for the children of the world by not promoting smoking. That's not very con man like. <laughs> that's 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 true. But okay. <laughs> It's a, it's a, it's a it, it is a gray area. I will, I will give you that. Yeah. Was right. that it, Adam? You're missing That's a big one, had. Adam. Adam, well, how that's probably you, a big one. There's a big one from a little film from 1977 called Star Wars. What about Greedo? I mean, he's one of the great con men in in film history, right? How, what, what was he conning? What wasn't he? Wasn't he like doing some back alley deals or something for the sale of the Millennium Falcon or something? Or? No, no, he was I mean, supposed. To, he was he than, was sent than, by Jabba you know. the Hutt to uh, get the money from Han Solo. And that's not a con man. Well, it's more con man than Mrs. Doubtfire. I would I would submit. <laughs> okay, can I read my list? Han I shot have first though. Just uh, I wrote down Dustin Hoffman in Straight Time, um, Otto and yeah. Wanda in A Fish Called Wanda. Fast Eddie and Taxi Driver. Again, I don't know if he's a con man, but he's a master of all trades. Um, Brock Osweiler on the Denver Broncos because they gave him a big contract. Yes, and he's smart. a con man. Um, I went with Bogdan in uh, uh, Breaking Bad for a similar reason. I mean, think of how much money he conned uh, the Whites out of for selling his car wash. I mean, he made a fortune off that. Um, the people who, designed, who ran the fire Festival. Um, Danny DeVito in Other People's Money. Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger in Junior and Danny DeVito in Matilda. And it's interesting. Matilda is a movie that I love that I think the three of you hate. And I'm curious because I really want to watch the new Netflix special uh, with Emma Thompson um, as uh, the principal. Um, I love Matilda and I love Danny DeVito. And then the last one, the biggest con of all is the president and his staff in Vantage Point because that was conning the American people. <laughs> we weren't there. <laughs> so who, was did, it? Who, who did you say from taxi driver i have no idea who the hell you're talking about fast andy the guy who sells him the guns oh, oh said fast eddie wanna, before wanna, you said fast call. eddie and you oh, talking sorry, about... i meant andy i sorry. sorry easy andy easy andy i'm sorry i got the name wrong you want some okay. uppers you want some downers you want some pills you want a cadillac you want five thousand dollars okay uh isn't danny devito and arnold schwarzenegger in twins also con men no, because I think they're actually related in that movie. No, but they're conning other people, aren't they? Isn't there a I've sequel to twins, twins coming out? I'm trying to remember. <laughs> never seen it. Then you've never seen Twins. I, I haven't heard about a sequel, but that would be amazing. I think, but and I think it's. Uh, hold on, I'm, I'm researching this real quick. That'd Adam, do you like Matilda, Adam? Matilda, yeah, I, I, I have to I watch it Matilda. again. But we showed my daughter that. The, and the, the Matilda's dad. Is he's a great yeah. con man. He, he reminds the odometer. Yeah, new triplets. 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 Arnold triplets? Schwarzenegger, Danny oh. DeVito, and Eddie Murphy. <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. Man. Yes. Perfect. We're reviewing that. And, and and it's not a Netflix special, the Matilda musical. It's an actual movie. And uh, Yeah, it's a movie. Oh, Tracy Morgan's in it, too. The uh, triplets Matilda? movie. Oh. No, in this triplets movie. When's that coming out? I'm, I'm looking. Uh, it's looking for it. I don't think it has a release date yet. Apparently, there was a trailer. But let me see, let me take a look here. So Ivan Ivan Reitman. Gotta keep paying those alimony checks. Speaking of Tracy Morgan, I had a thought earlier this uh, this week. Missed opportunity by never having Tracy Morgan uh, play Louis Armstrong in a movie. Can you imagine how <laughs> amazing that would have been? 
Like the the facial expressions are like identical. Well, Players. Terry, maybe Netflix can give you eighty million dollars. There we go. And you can make there we it. Go. Yep. Better investment than they gave no one Bombach. All right, let's uh let's recast this. Uh, oh God, we've got, this is... we've got the three main ones that we've been talking about: Roy, Frank, and Angela, and then anybody else you want. Now, Zach suggested that we do the worst recasting possible. Um, oh shit, I did. I forgot that. <laughs> I, I wrote I down did, both, but I kind of half-assed the both. worst ones. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I kind of did too. Um, so I, I think we're just gonna since there's there's just the three. I think we're gonna go through and just you you say all three at, at the same time. Well, I did. Um, I did Doctor Klein and Chuck as well. Did you okay, well you can you Dr. can throw Klein. those out there too. Okay. You can throw those out there too. Uh, let's see here, Todd. You're gonna start. Uh, for the best, they're both. Am I doing both everything? Uh, do both. Okay, for Roy, uh, I really had a hard time coming up with a good one. I I just said Adam Driver. I I think it'd be he'd be a really interesting con man, and he's about uh, he's not the same level of star as Nick Cage, but whatever. He's about the right age. And my worst is a, is Bakar Abdi. Um, I just <laughs> there's just absolutely no way. Oh, wow. <laughs> I can't imagine him. I think to he can play. He can play anger well. I think he could do the piss blood, Captain Phillips. I'm the captain now. That's what uh, I love today when he cuts cuts in line at the pharmacy. <laughs> uh, for Frank, uh, the good one I have is Dane DeHaan. He's he's sort of a default pick for a lot of things. He, I think it, this was he's in about the right spot for Sam, the Sam Rockwell thing. And my worst is uh, Henry Cavill. I, he's he's around the right age. I just can't imagine him ever being like funny or swindling in any way. Um, so 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 you've got Henry Cavill learning from Barkad Abdi. Yes. How to con? That's why Wait, it's, it's bad. Who was your actual Roy? There's too many names getting thrown. And D- Dane DeHaan. Well, no, Roy was oh, Adam Roy. Driver. Adam oh, Driver. okay. Low hanging fruit, but okay. Yeah, well, I mean, sort of. I don't think he's anything like Nicolas Cage, but uh, uh, nobody is. Uh, for Angela, my uh, my good picks are uh, either Abigail Breslin or Haley Lou Richardson. Uh, I don't think it's that necessarily that hard of a role to recast, but uh, uh, even though Alison Lohman is amazing, like I, I think both of them have a lot of the same things. And Abigail Breslin kind of did that in like, Zombieland, sort of, along with Emma Stone. And my bad one would be Iris Apatow. Uh, oh, obviously, yeah. couldn't be related to Bakar Abdi, but if they were casting <laughs> Bakar Abdi, then who really cares? And let's um, not ever do TikTok dances like in the bubble. That would just <laughs> that would be unspeakable. Exactly. And for uh, Doctor Klein, uh, my good pick, uh, which I think is kind of perfect, is Cal Penn. He he's 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 absolutely got that 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 kind of just like uh, I will say it now, punchable face. Uh, that that uh that 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 guy from uh, Rookie of the Year has. And um, and my bad <laughs> yeah. pick is uh, is uh, Jason Biggs because uh, I looked he's about the right age and I I just assuming him as as a, a wannabe psychiatrist even would be kind of entertainingly horrible, but yeah, so there you go. All right, all right, I'm gonna go next. Uh, so I've got I've got two written down for Roy for my good picks. Uh, I'll go with one of them and leave the other one for someone else. I'm going for Roy. I'm going Jake Gyllenhaal. Who's probably the best working around that age at uh, doing a good freak out and uh, and just being way over the top at anything. 
Uh, my bad pick for Roy is Jesse Eisenberg because he is uh, he he's too like neurotic to actually pull it off, but he could kind of make like I could see someone casting him saying this could work, and it really, really, really not work. Um, There's no way Ridley Scott would. I cast like your Jesse bad Eisenberg. pick more than your good pick. <laughs> oh no, Gyllenhaal would be amazing. See, that's the thing. That's the thing. Have Eisenberg... you seen Fleisch... Fleischman is missing? Heisenberg, he's really good in that show. Like he could absolutely do it. Have have you have you seen like Nightcrawler and Ambulance? Yeah, but and... he, he, he would it's go not... so far into method it would actually really be interesting to watch him do. Roy, it's not bad. Have you guys Going seen on? the new Jesse Eisenberg show? Yeah. The, the no, Fleischman is no. missing. It, he's really good in that show. Like, and it, and there's a little bit of Roy in that performance, a little bit. All right, my uh, my Frank, uh, I. The, it is a popular pick on the podcast, but I don't recast him that often. I went with Miles Teller. Uh, I, I think it, it, uh, he's a good Rooster. sidekick. Yeah, he's a good sidekick. Um, the uh, the bad pick would be Zach Efron. Um, just because I, I always bad. I, I, I it's not horrible, but I could see like Cavill's worse than Zach that. Efron. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was trying to come up with like realistic ones that could backfire really badly. <laughs> and I feel like Zach Efron has kind of I've always I always recast him because I'm like, oh, this won't work great. And I feel like every time I see him in anything now, it's like, crap, what happened to Zach Efron? Um, so, um, yeah. And then my Angela, I went with uh, I went with Rachel Zegler uh, kind of has that really young face and could pull off really young. Jake and, Hall's uh, daughter. Sure. Why not? And then uh, okay. my bad pick, my bad pick. His, his wife could be, you know. Yeah, yeah, you don't know. You don't know. So I, I had a couple down for my bad. Uh, one was Lily Rose Depp, just because we're crapping on Johnny Depp so much. And so why don't we why don't we just throw throw his daughter in there too? And my, but my other one, my other one might actually be decent. And that was Maria Bakalova. Mm. She looks like her. Yeah, know. she does kind of look like Allison Lohman. <laughs> but she can't speak English well enough to... And her father's Borat, her. as we all know. No one yeah. would believe that it's not Borat. That's true. That's true. I mean, Bakar Abdi and uh, Maria Bakalova could be interesting. That yeah. would be that would make for some... <laughs> wow. <laughs> with the sidekick of Henry Cavill. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Adam, what do you have? Um. Well, I... I, I didn't take an advantage like the the age difference between Nicolas Cage and Sam Rockwell, but I kind of like my cast. Uh, my Roy, I went uh, I went with Javi Gutierrez or Pedro Pascal, oh. but it's it's it's, it's Javi uh, making this movie. Oh, Javi, uh, that's that's beautiful. He should be the director. Yeah. He knows every he, he would know every line. So this movie, I don't think Harvey. ever actually gets mentioned. In unbearable weight of massive talent. He, he, he says bullshit, man. Oh. <laughs> he, he says that, and and I only heard one person ever mention that they that they that they knew what that line actually was, and I was like, I knew him exactly. Like that's magic, man. Of course. Yeah. So I, when I was thinking about the recast, I was like, yeah, I got to go with Pedro Pascal here um, for this role. Uh, my Frank, he is kind of he's too old for the the role, but I. I don't know, Al- Alessandra Navola. He was uh, like a disobedience and um, he's, he's the anonymous actor in everything. Yeah. And face <laughs> off in Jurassic Park three. Yeah. So he would yeah. <laughs> be that, that character. Um, and then my, who did I put down for this? 
girl. Um, yeah, that's wrong there. Um, no, uh, Jenny Ortega. I guess that's where I would go with the uh, the Angela character. But yeah, she's too. in everything. She's in everything though. But uh, my 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 bad would yeah. I think I had bad for uh, Frank would be Jesse Eisenberg would be pretty bad. Roy, so all the Frank. shit on Jesse Eisenberg. Is it because we were talking about Bombach and we think that it must have been? It must have been. Maybe uh, Roy. Roy See, I, I think we're just. I think we're just thinking Jesse Eisenberg, but we're really thinking about the kid from White Noise that sounds like Jesse yeah, Eisenberg. That's probably yeah, what it is. Yeah. Uh, but my bad choice for Roy would be Wayne Knight. I think him, him coming out of retirement. There we go. That's that's the kind of bad casting I'm looking for. Okay, Wayne Knight. Yes. No, but yes. I can still kind of see we it. In a I mean, way, I obviously he's way too old, old, but I mean, he's a good at the right player. age. I think he actually can really pull off a Roy. And you get you get Frank. You get to have uh, you could either have you can put you can plug Joseph Gordon-Levitt in there and kind of really uh, do like some Third Rock from the Sun type of stuff in there. Or French Stewart would be interesting. Oh, French As, Stewart. That's a great there we go. Um, but Angela, that's the because you can't really you can't do. Oh God, what's the guy's name now? Oh well, I'm I can't I, I can't think of a bad Angela really. Yeah, Millie Bobby Brown, but she's not really bad at all. But I don't know, I don't have a bad choice. Oh, come on, I, I mean, shit on kid actors all the time. Just yeah. throw something out there. <laughs> I mean, if Jesse Eisenberg was your choice for Roy, then Millie Bobby Brown would be a horrible choice because she'd be a foot taller than him. No, true. <laughs> <laughs> My yeah. choice. Yeah. Good point. Well, Wayne Knight and Millie Bobby Brown, that would be an interesting father-daughter <laughs> relationship there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's go with... Hmm. Just do it. Just do it. Let's go with Finn Wolfhard. But it's, you have to change the name from Angela to somebody else. So it's a father-son dynamic. Angelo. Angelo. Yeah. Finn Wolfhard, <laughs> and, Finn Wolfhard and Wayne Knight. There we go. Love to see it. All right. That's Zach, what do you got? Okay, I went with a gimmick, but I actually like my gimmick casting more than any of yours. Just just st stay with me for a little bit, okay? All right. That's so that, uh, I, famous last words. Just stay with me for a minute here. I felt like <laughs> this movie demographically a little uh, homogeneous. I felt like we need to change it up a little bit. For the 2023 remake, we're going with Viola Davis as Roy. Because Viola Davis can also play someone who's funny, who's neurotic who uh, has a bit of an edge and is a little bit unpredictable and is probably in the right age demographic, maybe a little bit on the older side, but I would love to see her cast alongside a younger protege. And that protege I cast as Jan Wu. Janelle Monet. Janelle Monet, I think, as we saw in Glass Onion, she's the best part of that movie. She can play a, how shall we say, dual-faced uh, character with multiple uh, motivations and uh, she can also be really funny and sarcastic and I could see her like on the phone you know just talking about uh, ripping people off drinking the the spurge or whatever Terry's surge surge drink <laughs> spurge. Uh, I went now this did present some problems because uh, I went with oh shit I can't remember the actor's <laughs> name hold on okay so I went, went with shit <laughs> read pieces now, of that shit would be a horrible recasting shit. now I originally went with uh, Zendaya as the daughter but that presented two problems one is that I don't think w a woman would forget if she had a kid 
So they would have to <laughs> redo that part somehow. The other problem, which is, I think, a bigger problem, is that Zendaya, even though she can realistically portray a teenager, is probably more like Roy with her neuroticies uh, as you as on display in Euphoria. And she's also too tall. I think the key to Allison Woman is that she's really short. So the person I went with, and I got to get her name right, and it's kind of sad that I don't know her name, uh, oh, basically... Shit. The uh, the actress who played Rue in the Hunger Games, and she was also in uh, the Hate. Oh, Amanda Stein. Uh, Amanda Steinberg. Steinberg, yes, and and Dear Evan Hansen, yes. So I went with her uh, as and the bodies, daughter. Bodies, bodies, and bodies, oh, bodies, yeah. bodies. That that's that is correct. Um, I will read. Uh, oh, can I? And then I'm, I'm just staying on this vibe. I'm going to give you my other characters quickly too. I'm going to go Doctor Klein. Uh, I went with Lawrence Fishburne in glasses, and mm. uh, like an intellectual Lawrence Fishburne. And then this is my favorite pick as Chuck Brichette. I, I, there's really three qualities. You need someone who can be big and intimidating. You need someone who could realistically own a boat and you need to be someone who is going to be um, uh, like uh, having a lot of sweat as they run through a parking garage. And the person that I thought of in that role is 50 cent because I think we saw him sweat on stage at the Super Bowl last year and he's a little bit bigger now, and there's more of him to love. So I went with 50 Cent. Uh, I don't know if I need to read my worst casting because it might already just be that is the worst casting, but I like <laughs> yeah. my casting. I, say, a lot. I, I, I think Janelle Monet is the only real, realistic pick you have in that. <laughs> I was getting ready for the Constance Wu like, throw out there, but I kind of figured that's where you were going to go, and you did. I, well, I did. I did write down a couple other names for Roy. I, I wrote down um, Jonah Hill, Stephen Yoon, and Peter Dinklage. Oh, of course, of course. No, Peter Smolashek. That'd be that's a bummer. I think he's a little uh, old. He's probably more of a Chuck at this point. Yeah, probably, Chuck. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I still think Lawrence Fishburne's way too old for that too, isn't he? Like in his sixties. Yeah, he should be Chuck. Be. Lawrence should Fishburne be. should be Chuck. I don't know. I feel like the Doctor can be kind of ageless. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about even like Robert Smigel as Dr. Klein, and he's probably older than Bruce Altman. So I, you know, I don't know. I also thought about Christoph Waltz, but then it, it yeah, I think that takes away from the rest of the movie. All right, who would Nicolas Cage play if it were made today? I think he'd be Dr. Klein. Hmm. Probably. I don't, know. I don't know if he'd play. I mean, it, it could be an expanded part. Like if it was the nineties, he's obviously uh he's obviously Frank. Yeah. He would have been an awesome Frank in the nineties. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I didn't really have anything if he was playing today. Or or would he be Chuck? I would like I would, I would be... see him as Chuck, yeah. I want to see the action hero run once again, going through the parking lot. You know, something oh, no. I had a thought watching this movie that I'd never thought before. How come Brad Pitt wasn't Frank? in 2003 that is like quintessential early 2000s brad pitt i mean he's doing the dancing he's drink, he's eating in every scene he's wearing he's a so hat. Too old. no 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 way this is like oceans 11 you know no, he's too old like sam rock was with early 30s in this like and he looks 35. early 30 yeah okay no, so 35 Brad Pitt's what maybe 40 i mean it's not too much of a difference and he play he always plays i mean he was benjamin button he looks very young so i i thought i did they try to get brad pitt because this is a total early 2000s brad pitt type performance well i mean this thing also didn't have a big budget and he i mean i don't know that's I, true sam rockwell like i said this is like his breakout role kind of he was in charlie's angels but this is like his well, 
Yeah, they needed yeah. someone a little little smaller time than Brad Pitt. Because if you uh, have who... yeah, if you have Brad Pitt, he's going to either require a whole lot more scenes, or it's going to be obvious that he's a bigger part of the plot than he is. Who would '90s Giamatti play? Mm. Oh, the, I have, uh, uh, carpet manager. <laughs> I, yeah, I said I said one of the cops at the end, one of the detectives. Yeah, okay, because they look they look at the monitor just like Paul Giamatti does in every movie in the nineties. <laughs> I like uh, uh I said either the airport bartender uh, oh, who has no lines or uh, or or pharmacist number two, uh, which is the the guy that uh, asks if he calls for security and he's like. There's supplements, you know, like I, I don't know. I, I could, I could totally oh, see Giamatti. I, as see as I as thought as of, I, could, I, I know it. So when you have to play off that pharmacy scene, it's the guy that says, "Hey, buddy, ever heard of a line?" And then immediately he freaks out and he, he kind of cowers backwards. That's Giamatti, <laughs> kind of cowering from the freak out. That hey, would buddy, be the, ever heard of a line? <laughs> okay, God, you piss blood. Okay, I got you. I'm backing up. <laughs> I think well, you could also go with the pizza delivery man, although maybe he's a little <laughs> old for that. And you could also go with the parking garage attendant. That's also like a classic Giamatti. Good one, too. Good one too. But the real question is, Giamatti, of course, could have played Roy. Like, this is there's there's a bit of Miles and Jack in the Roy Frank relationship, and there's a bit of of Miles in the Roy character. So I maybe I think, maybe Giamatti just would have played Roy. I think today Giamatti plays Chuck. No, today Giamatti plays both Albert Einstein and, <laughs> and uh, Scrooge. Oh, oh and Scrooge, Santa. that's right. Yeah. That is true. That is what he plays today. Um, what does Adam think this movie is about? Oh, that's a good one. I, I, okay. I have a good one. Oh, go, go ahead, forward. Todd. Okay, well, okay. Uh, I, I think um, that he takes Matchstick Man very literally, and it's a oh, group God. of bumbling idiot arsonists uh, who are being chased by the cops, sort of like the wet bandits of arson. And uh, the cop is, of course, played by Hillary Swank. <laughs> I, I think uh, I think he uh, he hears the term matchstick men and he thinks about people making matchstick men and it's a prequel to the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it was... a pre it's a prequel to the Blair Witch Project. That's what it is. All the all the little stick men in the woods. They're matchstick men. Wow, that's a very literal interpretation of it. I know, right? I worked hard it, on that one. Wouldn't Harry and Marv call themselves the matchstick men if they were arsonists? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, That's what this saying. is is for the it's fire a bandits. <laughs> it's, the, <laughs> it's a sequel to Wicker Man. It's the Wicker oh, Matchstick there Man. You go. Oh, there. Yep. I, that's it, I, yep. I wrote down that it's uh, about a man who uh, is dragged on a sidewalk till he piss blood and then he files a class action lawsuit against <laughs> the soy pills, and that lawyer is Hillary Swank. Uh, well, Sam Rockwell is in it, so that's true. Hmm. I still can't believe Todd, things. you didn't have conviction in your uh, in your father daughter or yeah, there was brother upside. sister. Yeah. All right, highest war performance goes to who, Zach? This is an obvious one. It's Allison Lohman. Uh, even though this may be a rare example where the highest war performance is not necessarily the best performance, but Judging by how difficult it was for me to think of anybody else who could have played this role either in 2003 or today, based on both height and ethnicity and the ability to look 10 years younger, 
uh, my goodness, a real, really challenging role to play. Um, you know, if uh, I watched the one hour making of this movie on, on the 2003 widescreen edition DVD, which I assume all of you guys own, great one hour making of. And uh, Ridley Scott forgets her name several times, uh, which is funny. And uh, I, he, it's nice. pretty clear that he thinks that she's 14 years old uh, when he casts her. Uh, and so his reaction when she comes out in that outfit, which she's wearing at the end of the movie when they're in a costuming session, is pretty uncomfortable. Um, anyway, uh, that is, uh, her, like Todd was saying, it's kind of sad. I don't know really what happened to her career. She was in that one Cronenberg movie where the truth lies. She's pretty good in that in White Oleander. Not white noise, white oleander. And uh, I think she's tremendous. She she would be my supporting actress winner in two thousand three. As uh, she's uh, amazing. It's not a Cronenberg movie. A, Isn't it a Cronenberg? Oh no, it's a um, a Goyen. A Goyen, excuse me, wrong Canadian yeah. director. Yeah, but yeah, way did... way on the opposite end though. Like, <laughs> yeah, the fact that she's twenty four and realistically can play the fourteen year old is it's is it's the eyes. Impressive. Like something about her eyes, but she looks yeah. super young. What's well, the, but, what's but the one were... horror movie she was in, Todd? The, um... Oh, Drag Me to Hell. Yeah. Oh, okay. See, what they, not... were, yeah. what they yeah, were talking really about in the documentary, they spent a surprising amount of time talking about the costuming of the movie. They said that they didn't want to dress her up as a 14-year-old. They wanted to dress her up as a 24-year-old trying to dress up as a 14-year-old and trying to pass as a teenager, which is just kind of brilliant because if you so look at the way... they give her a skateboard? <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Like you think about the, little sort of the, perso yeah. the persona that she develops. It's it's like it's so it's so deep and thoughtful in a way because I don't really think there are fourteen year old girls who dress the way that she does. It's like it's sort of just a a, a um, uh, it's something manufactured. It's I, I think it's ingenious and uh, she's she's great in the role. Watching the movie again, I I feel like she's actually crying at times. Like when when uh, Nicholas Cage says he's never going to see her again, like uh, I feel like that that might be genuine tears on her part because she really develops affection for him. And uh, like when he says when he says to her that he uh, he's going to give up the life of crime. I mean, that's sort of like that seems like a really genuine reaction. I, again, maybe now I'm praising more her performance than the war thing. But I think that's a really hard role to recast. I can't see anyone else. Yeah, there really is an underplayed storyline is that she kind of gets to a point where she's and you never She's know too deep into it yeah but you never. you're right you never, you never know, know. But, and that would be an she really want to finish it yeah that would be an interest like okay so you know uh really scott did the rashomon thing with the dual movie let's do it with this movie let's go back in time and see this whole movie from allison loman's perspective like is she coming home every day thinking oh man this is just another job i'm gonna go home and party and get high or is this like uh, I genuinely have feelings for this guy. Screw Frank. I kind of don't feel like we should be doing this to him because he's a sweet guy. He wants to give up his whole career. See, I wrote that down for a potential sequel. Was like it, to see everything from Frank and Angela's exactly. perspective. That'd be. I don't know. I don't know if that would have been almost mini series where you'd had to do it episode by episode. But I don't think you could do it now. Obviously, or... we'd watch it. We would deep well, I mean, dive I... the shit out of each. Would... We would bury that shit. B-A-R-R-Y <laughs> each episode of that. <laughs> Throw that on the sideshow. We'd be the only ones who do it. The almost matchstick sideshow. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I'll go next on Highest War. Um, I mean, that's a great pick, but the I, the other one's Nicolas Cage. And so I'll talk about him. And I've already talked about him a little bit, but I mean, someone's mentioned it's his best performance. It is, it is so perfect for him and so designed for him to have this have all the ticks built into the character already 
and then allow him to explore enough to have his cage cager moments and uh, yet be sophisticated and suave enough to be able to pull off being a con artist. There are few actors that could pull off all those layers and he is definitely the master at it. So he definitely has to be considered for Ice War 2. I mean, yeah, yeah that's, it could be the Nicolas Cage highest war performance. Like this. Yeah, but I, I wrote down also, like, I feel like James Gandolfini did something similar in The Sopranos. Dustin Hoffman would have done this in the 80s. Michael Keaton could have done it in the 90s. Again, William H. Macy, Steve Buscemi. Like, Michael Keaton's a good call. I'm not saying that he, Kevin Spacey too, like, I'm not saying that those would have been better, but I think they could have been recast and the movie still would have been pretty interesting to watch. Adam, what I do you also, got? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Zach. Sorry. I also said in my recasting, I, in a, I would have liked a world where Roy was played by Ron Howard and Frank was played by Brian Grazer. <laughs> that's that's got to be a similar your, dynamic. There's your bad casting. <laughs> there's a similar <laughs> dynamic here. There has to be. Uh, there we go. Yeah. Uh, my highest war was, I did put down Allison Loman. I think that's kind of the obvious one. Nicholas Cage is there. I think even Sam Rockwell to a certain extent, but the one person we're not talking about, the one that is completely a highest war. When you need somebody to play this character, you go to this actor alone. She's been in several movies. You got to go with Beth Grant as the laundry mm, yeah, lady. I wrote nice. her down too. So yeah. highest <laughs> war. So you, you have to mention her because uh, the laundry lady is a vital part of the bonding experience between the two, two main characters here. You go to the person who played this in countless roles. It's like, oh, I know her from Speed, blah, 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 all these other different movies. Beth yeah, Grant. This is our third deep dive that we've done, Beth Grant. Yeah. Right? The other one, obviously, Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. And then Speed, we need a yeah, Beth the, Grant uh, award. The hey, hey, it's Beth Grant award. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's going to be something like someone who does laundry. That's a that's a good award, like the Beth Grant laundry award, like someone who's doing laundry or on a bus. I, yeah, I like Some, the, the laundry, laundry on, a bus. on a bus. Yeah, doing laundry on a bus. Yeah, <laughs> judging pageants. Yeah. All right, Todd. What's the highest war? Uh, I mean, with what you left me, I don't know. It's like, I mean, I I, I guess I could say Bruce Altman because. There is, there. I don't know. There's something about him that just it makes sense that he's playing that role because it's one of those like really calm but slimy characters that he is always like he's never the nice guy. He's never like the lead. He's never somebody who's sympathetic. He's always that guy that you're just like, I don't know about that guy. And that's that's Bruce Altman. Even even in like Glengarry Glenn Ross, he's that way. Even though he's like the one sort of getting conned, you know. It's I don't. I guess I'll go with that, even though the answers have already been said. Yeah, Bruce right. Altman's a, a good pick. I also wrote down uh, Bob Balaban and Corey and Eric's father on Boy Meets World. Alan. <laughs> that he could play him? Yeah, he could have been the he could have been Dr. Klein. Bob <laughs> <laughs> Balaban's not bad. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I like thank that. you, Terry. It's not a bad pick. It's not a bad pick. It ha- it has to be someone that that could end up being like anonymous. Someone who command who commands respect, but is also thoughtful and probably plays chess and smokes cigars. No, smokes a pipe. Excuse me. When he first busts out the pipe, I was like, "Is he taking a hit? Like, what's what's he doing?" I was like, "Oh, wait, it's a pipe. Okay, hold back. It's not a. It's not a. He's not taking a hit of marijuana there. Not the not right. yet. Today's version will be. Also, in the making of documentary, lots of cigars. 
Sir Ridley loves the cigars. So does Nick Cage. So do Ted and Nicholas Griffin. By the way, uh, there is uh, no such thing as Nicholas Griffin, like Donald Kaufman. It's just one person. That's really that was a lame joke. I'm sorry. I'm off my game. I just I, I'm disappointed that you didn't like the Corey and Eric's dad reference, Todd. That was for you. That Alan Alan would make a good uh, psychologist. I mean, I suppose it, it would be a different style of character than that. But yeah, I mean, it would. I could see it. I could see it. I'd be more. I'd be more like Mr. Turner style, like you know. I can see that too. All right, Bill Paxton Memorial worst performance. I'll go first on this one. This was hard to come up with one. Yes. I went with Bruce Altman just because I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I feel like he's one of the least the the least war performances in it. And I think that's why I'm going with it because I feel like he's like the most replaceable of Whatever, that was my pick. For I know highest war. I know it was, but <laughs> I, mean, I was his manager. I was his manager. Uh yeah. The yeah, fact gonna... that when you talk about him, you're like, oh, he he's the he's the 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 boyfriend in Rookie of the Year. Oh yeah. no no, he's the guy who gets conned in Glengarry. And then you come up with this, even though it's a top twenty five movie for you, Todd. That's that's a that's a red flag. Yeah. I don't know. Well, we're fourth the one being talked to in a in a cast of like six people. <laughs> yeah, I don't interest? know. It it was I I had to come up with somebody, and I couldn't really think of a good one, so I went with yeah. uh, I went with him uh adam who do you got well yeah bruce all um yeah altman we're doing rookie of the year later on this year stay tuned but uh, oh, no i'm right. gonna go with wow. worst performance sheila kelly as kathy oh so, what's wrong with kathy uh, she i thought about half that one smile time. it's terrible i thought She's about that one movie. but she just doesn't have anything to do like she's exactly. not much to do that's not her Every- fault yeah okay but, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's bruce it's, altman then <laughs> well i i always end up picking the one that has nothing to do and i tried to go away from that this time so all right well but but you can go with it that's fine i'm fine with that todd what do you got no yeah go ahead uh well i wrote down bruce mcgill not because he's necessarily bad he's just like from a different movie like that that character needed to be something less just like like big asshole he needed to be something more of like a smug person and bruce mcgill is never going to be that i i he's just he's walked out of a different movie and comes into this one i don't think he's bad necessarily it's just i don't know there's no bad performance another terrible pick bruce altman and bruce mcgill the two bruces not the two jakes the two bruces are what make this movie great (laughs) they cannot be recast all right well who's your worst performance i didn't say least recast i just said or most recastable, I just said bad, worst. I don't know. The Bill Paxton Award, you know? I'm going with uh, Beth uh, Grant as Laundry Lady because Aww. she Aww. died. Okay. She fell under the bus. The <laughs> wheel went over her. She should not be alive. We're not. <laughs> you remember okay. what Adam said? Don't stand on those steps. Like this, would... <laughs> you know? Don't stand on the steps. <laughs> Do you think as this thought exact, just occurred to me? Ben said that, not Adam. Do you ben. think a- Angela actually gave her back the money? We never see her give her back the money, and maybe in real life, Angela just pocketed that shit. She probably did. 
I always Probably. assume that she never gave it back. She's too she's too good at her job. Interesting. I always assume that she did give it back because Nick Cage mm. is probably watching her. Conspiracy theory. She went around a corner to do it. I guess he's I watching guess, her from from his he, side mirrors. Yeah, There's he no can way. see the reflection. Oh, this is why it's a good question, Adam. Uh, be, be that would have been a great What's scene to see too. We needed to see that scene. Does she give the money back, Adam? What do you think? <sighs> way in? No, no. I don't think he does. She does. I think she goes around the corner. Doesn't give the money back. You think that was a deleted scene, maybe, or a, or a cut scene of interesting? Her actually, not no deleted scenes on the DVD. I've always wondered about that, but uh, there are some interesting deleted scenes that they talk about in the documentary. I'll, I'll mention that later. Maybe she uses the three hundred dollars to pay for the carpet at the end of the movie. Because she does have to pay for that, which I think makes the slacker boyfriend a little bit of a douchebag. He was going to come up in my douchebag ratings a little bit later, but she she probably got at least a hundred grand out of that of that con. There's no way that she oh now this is this is this is the content we're here for. How much money did Angela get? I brought that up earlier. I'm just saying, like like she she said she got screwed out of her cut, but they're talking about well over a million dollars, and she was like the main person in it. Like I think that she probably thought she was getting half or something right i assume that she's she had to have gone at least 100 grand but that's still getting screwed out of it but it was a year later she could have blown all that she's a kid in her 20s see i i think she really got screwed because if she actually got money uh like i know she says that she got but if she got any money that would make her culpable and would make her less sympathetic she's kind of sympathetic at the end of the movie like her life is clearly not in as great of a place or at least a different place but Under grand ain't gonna get you very far either. I mean, it's I mean, especially gets her a dress and, and a wig. She probably a bought dog. a car, and that was it. Yeah, and some and the dog print carpet. All right, let's get back on track here. <laughs> we are way off track. Amazing Larry, Big Tim, High Roller, minor character of the film award goes to who? Adam. Sonia Eddy as the parking garage cashier. There yeah, you go. Good one. Super friendly. Yeah. Uh, definitely a good. Uh, just they don't. They have to give out the receipts. They have to give change. We don't take tips here. She's the know. most moral character in the movie. Yeah. And a, yeah. A movie filled with slimy people. Uh, yeah. She's definitely the most moral person. So got to go with her. Minor, minor character. It's a good call. It's a good call. It's a great call. I mean, this is like the a good category. Um, I, I mean, I'm gonna say Kathy, the um, sorry, obviously the one at the um, grocery store, like because she's sort of the key to keeping the audience at uh, in the dark about about what everything's going on because she's so genuine and contributes to his sort of like sense of security. And but there's no way that she's part of the con, right? Like, right? I don't know. I mean, when you're watching it, like you kind of have to think back, like, was she part of it? But she actually works there. I don't know. Like, it, it, there's there's something about her innocence that makes it so that she she's such an integral part of of what actually is going on. But she actually isn't part of it, which is why it's so sweet when he ends up with her at the end. I I, I love that character. It's a good call. Good call, Zach. I went with Kim Cassidy as the stripper at Spearmint Rhino uh, because if you look at uh, Kim Cassidy's uh, IMDb picks, she's played strippers before in other shows and movies, which is great. And one of my conspiracy theories is that 
she could only be recast as one person, which is the girl that sleeps with Triple X and Triple X and is waiting for him in her bedroom. <laughs> so it's a high war performance as well as a great uh, a minor character. Uh, Lovely. It's impressive for a PG-13 movie, too. And like I was saying, you know, this movie could have gone into full hedonism, but uh, full Babylon mode uh, in those uh, uh, Spearmint Rhino scenes, but uh, stays very chaste, just like the parking garage attendant. Very, very moral and tasteful. All right. Uh, my favorite minor character is uh, is Holt, played by Nigel Gibbs. Uh, so on the on the sideshow, we have a we have a category that's the "Hey, that guy" category because there's always a bunch of random actors that pop and go, "Oh, hey, that's that guy." And so I was watching this, and he has like one line, and it just stands in the background the whole time. But the whole time I, that scene was going on, this time, I'm like, "Hey, it's Hank's buddy from uh, from Breaking Bad," and so I had to look it up. It's a APD Detective Tim Roberts, the one that gives him the file on the Bedeker murder. Wow. Uh, that's uh that is awesome. That's a reach. That's that, no, amazing that, research. Uh, I know, right? So uh so and he's the one he's the one that that uh that takes care of uh takes care of Marie when that all goes down. Yeah. So um he he's he's an integral part of that show and so when he popped up I'm like, "Hey, it's a guy from uh it's a guy from so, Breaking Bad." So you went with that over like the slacker boyfriend who obviously is the writer director of Mass mass like, yeah we, we didn't we didn't go with what? that wow really yeah that's the, no. yeah fran fran Kranz, Kranz, yeah, yeah. and uh we didn't go with mr schaefer who is like the the guy who works at the airport that's showing uh abignell around in catch me if you can um uh, i don't know i mean doesn't mr yeah. schaefer get fired and up in the air too i feel like he gets fired and up yeah in the air. i think he's one of those guys yeah <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, we we have we have a guy learning from Ridley Scott that came up with Mass, that which is better than any movie Ridley Scott did ever, probably other than this movie. Mm. That's, That's really interesting. interesting. On a semi-related note, did you guys know that the scene where Quentin is talking about what a homoerotic movie Top Gun is? Do you know who he's talking to in that scene? No, it's Mr. Todd Field. Oh, Todd Field. <laughs> I just found I, that out. The couple I've never days been ago. able to see that movie anywhere. What's it called? Oh, I have no idea. I, I've, I've looked. I've never been able to find yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's like Zoe's birthday. Uh, it's just not available. Uh, all right, time to move on. Todd, while you were gone, we renamed some categories, so we're gonna come across those right now. We're so not we gonna have... rename them to Christmas movie bullshit from a one that's not even that good. Like we're well, not doing that. Well, well one, no, one, we didn't do that. The, the, the Swigert stick man. We did that. Because Spider is not a stick man. Spider is a kid whose foot gets shot and then he dies. How does that make him a stick man? That's not the that's not the spider. It's a spider from School of Rock. That is oh! <laughs> oh, well now that makes a little more sense why it was because I was the, always the, like, no, the get, he's a good looking guy. No, but, the guitar player that replaces uh that replaces Dewey in School of Rock. Okay. The guy goes. That makes a little more sense. Uh, obviously. But you renamed uh, it because of what? It was some because Spider. Well, now and then Spider from, came up in oh, another Avatar. 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 Yeah. I don't That's know. Right. The Swagger's Sly okay, I guess. But we're not renaming the other stuff after f***ing Love Actually. The one F <laughs> word no, came no, no, from it that. It wasn't, it wasn't that. It was the the next one was Uncle Frank douchebag. Yeah, that's a good one. I think that's a good one. 
Who was it? Who was it before? Magical Tony? No, it was Billy Bats. Billy, Billy Bats. Bats. Oh. Oliphant. Uh, the well, people Oliphant from Best Oliphant in Show. Oliphant is at least on par as, as, as Billy Bats in terms of douchebagginess. So, anyways, whatever. Douchebag. Stickman, douchebag, most punchable. on the microphone. Yeah, at Adam, I, you're, you're making noise or something. I'm not doing anything. Who is who's making noise? It's gone now. It was on. He was, he was all, no, he was all up on that you, microphone. Adam. I wasn't. He was all up on that, like Angela on the pizza, you know. <laughs> all right. Wait, Anyways. you think something was going on between Angela and the pizza guy? No, I think something might have been going on between Angela and Frank, though. That well, that's a conspiracy an theory. Point. That's a good conspiracy theory. Because how else does she meet this girl that is going to just randomly be so great at conning people, and it's her only time she's ever done it? Like, yeah. I mean, it had to have been someone that he knew already. That's a great conspiracy theory. And in the making of documentary, they do talk about how there were some deleted moments where, like in the scene in the parking lot, Angela kind of gives like loving eyes to Frank. They certainly look at each other, but they took that out because they didn't want to play up that element. They didn't want to reveal that there's a connection between the two of them. So obviously there's some validity to that conspiracy theory. It also explains why she's with another dude. Maybe he breaks up with her or they have a split up and that's why she gets screwed with the money. Yeah, I think they probably just never like he dropped her off somewhere and gave her some cash and never saw her again. At That's the probably Seven what Pines Motel. I thought that was going to be a question too. Oh, uh, that would have been a good question. All right, back to the topic on hand. Todd, <laughs> stickman, douchebag, most punchable. The Robert Forster Memorial, most punchable face, by the way. Uh, for stickman, uh, I'm gonna. I, I mean, obviously, you got Frank, who. Um, who he, he even talks about his girlfriends, but Roy gives him shit for it being like probably yeah, like a, a prostitute or whatever. Like we thought was pretty funny. Um, the for douchebag, I'm gonna say um, the store clerk who's selling like the lottery tickets because he's trying to like he's being an asshole about it. You like you know what the odds are of you know getting the same numbers twice in the same week, let alone ever or never. You know like he's a douchebag and most punchable face. Uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm going pharmacist number two, the 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 one that that tells him that the prefix is actually Suplifem. Like he's just he's got one of those like little like punchable mouse like faces, and he's a little bitch. He deserves to get punched. Who'd you say for stick man again? Frank. Okay, gotcha. All right, uh, Zach. All right, for uh, stick man, I went with Josh. Because he was at the party and his hand was moving, and yeah, some bad stuff happened there at the party that she's making up and telling her dad about. Josh was getting some action. Um, on a, in a similar vein, my douchebag is Angela's friend Carrie because she keeps calling after midnight so much so that they had to get get Angela her own line. That's pretty douchey and annoying. And then most punchable face, not very funny, but obviously uh, Roy's ex-wife, Heather, he left her with a bun in the oven and a black eye. Oh. That was a buzz kill. I know. Oh. Let's go with someone else. Let's go with um, let's go with the pizza guy. He deserves to get punched. All right. Keeps getting the name wrong. I'm next. Uh, my first stick man. I went with Mr. Schaefer because he wasn't home when Frank called and 
with as clueless as his wife is, you know he's got to be the the look on his face is like, "Oh, why am I still with this woman?" And that that's kind of how I was feeling. So, uh, mm-hmm. I think he's he's a stick man. Douchebag is Frank. I mean, which you find out really at, in the last like 10-15 minutes of the movie, you find out how much of a douchebag he is. And uh most punchable face is obviously Detective Bishop at the end. Uh that is like the definition of a face you just want to punch. And if uh if if uh, Roy's hand didn't I tell you to turn off the machine? Yeah, and if Roy's <laughs> hand wasn't uh wasn't like handcuffed to the to the bed, I'm sure he would have when he got super close to him. So that's what I'm going with. Adam. Well, there's a lot of choices here to uh pick from. Uh I guess Stickman uh would be Roy because he has they has two buns in the ovens. Um and then so that I guess that would be it. That is uh, a good no. call. Those are confirmed hits. <laughs> confirmed kills. Uh, uh, the douchebag. Uh, yeah, got it. I'll probably go with uh, Frank here as well, especially pretty much what you said the last 20 minutes of it. You can definitely see it. And the punchable face. Yeah, that, that cop at the end was pretty, the bishop, yeah, as well. But then at, at the same time, Dr. Klein, because you just, yeah, rookie of the year. You just want to punch him in the face. That's Dr. Klein, Bruce Altman. That's a, character. Yeah, I mean, he, he does have a very punchable face. For so, sure. That's for what sure. I had. Does, right. Doesn't he get punched in Rookie of the Year? I, th- I think he does. Yeah. Way to yeah. go, Mom! Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> I was thinking about that. He was actually my... He, he, I wrote him down as the second choice behind Pharmacist number two. Yeah. Which, that guy should have an, had an actual name. <laughs> That, that, yeah, probably. Probably. Uh, all right. We lost someone. You had to go check the stove. Now we're losing all three of them. Now we're losing all three of them. What else did you rename? Or try to that was rename? It. It, was, that was, it, was, it was the Swigert Stickman and the Uncle Frank douchebag. Uncle Frank from Home Alone. You, you guys had like a, ones for all of them. That was just oh yeah, person. that was just for just for that. But but Uncle Frank, we were like that one. That one should probably hold. And Spider, there ended up being. We realized there were just too many spiders. There's too many then, uncles. Yeah, like I think Zack Snake search could terrible. So anyway, what? It could just what be happened? the Uncle Douchebag because like he got like that, the Uncle a, in Breaking Bad. Uncle. Oh, not that Uncle. That Uncle too. Yeah, there's a lot of. It could just be the Uncle Douchebag. That sounds like a French movie. <laughs> Uncle Douchebag, their bad Bollywood translation title. Uh, all right, Zach, what is the best scene? Uh, oh boy, best scene in the movie. Um, hmm. I didn't think about this one very well. Um, gosh, I don't know. So many good ones. Yeah, my favorite. I said earlier, the, my favorite part of the movie is 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 Roy and Angela. So it would have to be one of their scenes. Uh, I think the scene when he says, you're a nosy Parker, that's no way way for a young lady to behave. And you know what? Shame on you. A great scene when she comes back from the arcade um, and she freaks out on him. And that's and then he reveals to her that he's he's a con man. That's that's the heart of the movie that if you want to encapsulate the movie in a five minute segment, that's it. That's a great sequence. That's good. Uh, My pick for best scene was the teaching of the con. Uh, and then the whole sequence yeah. at the at the laundromat and all that. 
I also love every time that that she says something and his response is, "Ah, ah, beer, ah, beer." I don't know. I don't know. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. That I, I that whenever that happens, it's great. Adam, what's your best scene? All right, so I, I originally I put the pharmacy scene here because that's where the, the great freakout does happen. However, I feel like when you first see uh, Frank come to Roy's house and there's a clear, deliberately saying, like, get your shoes off the carpet. And then it later on in the movie, when Roy puts his shoes on the carpet, Frank's like, hello, like that back, those two little bookended scenes for me are like some of the, played off really well and i thought i really liked that especially the yep. specifically with that first opening sequence when uh roy or frank goes into roy's house but it's kind of called back at the very end too when he's like worrying about angela and that you can see where his ticks are slowly going away from that sequence on even though he's being conned to that sequence yeah much like jack and miles you can understand the the roy and frank dynamic right away like the moment that and even in the first scene when he goes into the office, it's like, you know, you know, their relationship, you know, their partnership right away. And that's like great acting and great writing. All right. Todd. Oscar caliber writing. Best scene, uh, I mean, there's no real bad answer to this. I like I mean, I, I love the airport con. Like, I mean, I, I think all of the actors are absolutely doing their thing there. Like Frank's got that sly look in his eye. Like Nick Cage is like doing his all. He, he's totally playing it up, you know, the, the back injury and stuff. And then obviously you got Angela coming in with like throwing the glass at the at the bartender and stuff. And Bruce McGill playing like an idiot like he always does. Like th that, that scene is just a it's a great scene. And one that is a bridge between like the, the meat of the movie and the actual point of the movie. And I, it's a yeah, awesome. Perfectly executed. Nice. Although the other one I really like is when, when they when they're making spaghetti and then he ends up having to buy pizza because he only puts like an herb in the in the in the pasta. It's, it's basil. <laughs> it's basil. What if, look, look at the leaves right there. <laughs> what about any of the scenes with Roy and Doctor Klein? I mean, those could be best scenes mm. in the movie too. That that yeah. that is some great. And, that, uh, and that's a good day, therapy, Doc. Therapy uh, patient scenes. I mean, those rival The Sopranos or like anything you'd see in a really good. I want to know if that know. if that if that footstool actually was an antique. I got, that's that, a great question. Too. I've always wondered that. That is a great question. It looked really well, um, well kept if it was, but it also was like made of leather, and I don't know. It didn't look like it had been touched very often. All right. Uh, the regal quote of the movie is oh, pygmies. Pygmies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I went I I said either either it's uh, piss blood but i don't know how that would fit into the regal commercial i got it i um, figured it but, that out. uh the other one i i wrote down is one two three you're like opening um, the door to get in the theater or something yeah yeah or or like scoops of popcorn going into the bucket one <laughs> two three. well that would be annoying if... <laughs> <laughs> well anybody else adam you said you had one well the, the they have to be careful the one two three thing because it could go into uh Big Bang Theory territory because that's where the well, that, then just go then go uno doy toi or whatever that's the other a good, one good yeah. point 
So the the pissed blood thing. You go, hey, you guys, have you ever pissed blood? Like yell at like the second person that walks in. That's how you do it. No, 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 no. The how you do it is you have Danny Trejo in line, and then someone cuts him, and he says, "Hey, buddy, heard heard of a line?" And then they say, "Have you ever been dragged into the sidewalk until you pissed blood?" So you have to be at the line at the concession stand. And and it has that one giant guy. Yeah, the one giant guy who says, "Son of a." And you replace that with pygmies. Pygmies. That's going to leave a mark. <laughs> I also like the money is a foreign film without subtitles. That feels appropriate. That is a That's great a good line. Too. That's well. a good line. I felt like in that moment he was uh, he was channeling his inner uh, Memphis Reigns when he goes to the, the car dealership. And uh, is, uh, yeah. Two Rogers don't make a right. <laughs> Funny is a foreign film without subtitles. <laughs> um, the the other one that could fit into the trailer is is the uh, is after the movie have like a, a last second thing of the movie's over and everyone's walking out and someone goes that was a good date doc. <laughs> I can see that one. It's yeah. a good one. All right, if there were a sequel, I heard some already already mentioned. I've got one. Um, what if it were present day and now you've got you've got Roy with a 20 year old and Frank comes back into his life like that could be an interesting movie and he starts getting the ticks back just like automatically we'll see, yeah, we'll, Frank, we'll see. Frank brings it back one thing I wrote down was like seeing Roy what would happen to him during COVID with like <laughs> Like, oh. <laughs> I mean, that's that's where you were going, Terry. I was like, "Yeah, we're on the same page." I was like, oh, "Okay, that, that's like, no, you bring that's all of that together." That's fascinating. Yeah. See, where I thought you were going was that he abandons uh, uh, Kathy, and we, and then they, their kid ends up at his door twenty years later. That's what I thought you meant, Terry. That could work too. That could work too. <clears throat> With a black guy. Wow. See, that's why that's why the ending of the movie isn't as sweet, because, you know, when he talks about bun in the oven, it's also he left her with a black eye. And it's like he's you're reminded that he's a domestic abuser. But, you know, (laughs) it's a sweet, happy fairy tale. ending. But, you know, whatever. Just casual. I mean, you don't know how she got a black eye. I can't imagine him actually doing violence on anybody, though. Any other sequels? Doesn't sound like it. Okay. no. Flaws, yeah. outdated conspiracy theories. We've already talked about like 15 conspiracy theories, but I've got a couple more. Um, one is, uh, okay. Whose idea was the con? Do you think it was Frank's idea? Yeah. Or, 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 or could, and he just assembled the team or could it have been like him and Chuck were buddies and Chuck's like, Hey, I've got this idea. Of something we could try and pull off. You've got well, this. Is Chuck a con man too? That's I don't thing. know. I don't know. But I that, that I I thought that was an interesting question. And then as you guys were talking, I thought of another one. So there's a scene. Uh, it's it's before um before Roy tells off Angela for being at the arcade. Um, it all gets gets started when um he brings Frank over to the house to meet Angela and Angela's not there. Was that on purpose? Was Angela not there on purpose so that her and Frank couldn't meet yet? Probably. Cause they didn't end up meeting until 
until right before the airport job. Like when they decided to bring her in on it. Well, I mean, that that would be every single point of the plan would have been figured out beforehand. And I don't think with like the dynamics of the characters that that would have been possible. But yeah, I mean, that that is a good that is a good point, because if they had met there, it would have changed a lot of things. I thought your conspiracy theory, Terry, was going to be about how this movie is like Billy Bob Thornton in Bandits, your number 10 of 2001, because it's also about an agoraphobe with OCD and antiques. Oh, that no, that would have been good. That would have been good. We should have we should have done a deep dive of that last year. That was a missed opportunity on my part. I mean, two years ago. Two years ago. All right. Well, that means we're closer to being able to do it again. All right, because like, any... we're two we're, we're two days clear of one one year. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay, I have some things I want to talk about. Yep. Go um, for it. Um. So Angela. Uh, when she first meets Roy, she has to ask if he is Roy. But then in the very next scene, she said she she used to stare at his picture for hours, like uh, wondering what she got of him. Mm. And so it's like, okay, so that's good. That's that's points for, some, points for Todd. That's a something I never point. noticed until this time watching it. Uh, also, I don't think I've ever seen a whole gallon of Ben and Jerry's ice cream before, and that's what she's eating out of. I don't think yeah. those exist. And um, I, I want. One thing I want I want to see I wanted to see like a, a another scene of like a glimpse of um Dr. Klein's basically like his Francesca uh, uh to uh, Saul Goodman because <laughs> she takes a call for, from Roy uh bas- basically like distracting him being like oh he's not in the office he's not going to be around for a while whatever I wanted to see what uh what that what that character was cuz uh Francesca ended up being a pretty integral part of Better Call Saul and would have been fun yeah, well, and also the guy who says Mancuso moved back east, man. <laughs> oh yeah, maybe when he's related it... to the pizza delivery guy. Wait, so wait, was that not real? That, That's a that great part? question. Because well, there's no way yeah, that Mancuso was, was was part of the con too, right? Because that would have no. been going on way longer than they probably knew each other. But see, when and you he... when when you start asking questions like that, the movie, I think it it falters a little bit. So no, I because just... no, because I think Roy talks to Frank so much that like he has all this information in it, and he probably had this idea in his head, and he found the right opportunity, which was when his pills ran out. Well, no, yeah, when when his when his guy left, and then he's like, okay, this is like the uh, this is the perfect time. I don't know. Well, like, and then what what would have okay. happened if Chuck Prechette like had actually gotten to the car at the parking garage? Would he have actually like attacked Nicolas Cage? Like, there's just so many, like, questions because I it's impossible to know any of those things. It's interesting, I guess, to a certain level, but I just think the movie's great because of the Nicolas Cage and Alison Lohman relationship. And I'm glad the movie ended that way. It would be like trying to pick apart the game or something. It's like, yeah, yeah there's a lot of times when, or, or Triple X, where it's like, yeah, this is a test, but you <laughs> probably could have died. You know, it's like, you know. <laughs> Todd, I feel like there was something that we we caught back when we first watched it, where Doctor Klein says something that goes back on something that pays off. Oh, uh, well, uh, that that was just that, like I can't lie or Roy or something. Like, I, oh yeah, we, yeah, we were caught up on that. That's what it was. Which he but, doesn't actually lie; he just lies about being it. Like, we just well, his whole existence is a lie. Do you, yeah. you don't believe that yeah. Doctor Klein is an actual therapist, right? That that's that's where the crux of that would would go to. So if he's not an actual therapist, then yeah, I think that was the, that was what it was. Is back then we were like we we were thinking he was an actual therapist. Yeah. Adam, do you have anything? 
Uh, well, I had like in my head, I was like, what happens if in leaving Las Vegas, he didn't actually die and somehow he is becomes this person and like he has like a kid with Elizabeth Shue in leaving Las Vegas and that's who Allison Loman, Loman's character, daughter's mother is and stuff like that and tie it in that way. But then I was like, oh no, leaving Las Vegas is too good. Why would I want to do that? <laughs> that's where kind of my head went. But I can see those two movies kind of being connected in some kind of way. Maybe not. If he didn't die. If he didn't <laughs> die. Obviously, he would, wouldn't have Spoiler to die. He, he you, can't, <laughs> Jeez, Adam. you can't have him die, obviously. But if he would have impregnated her in his dying moments, that would have been interesting. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> that sounds like the movie I want to see. That's the, uh, that's the unrated Ridley Scott director's cut. That's the French version. <laughs> Uh, all right. Let's let's. Uh, I had a, let's wait, I had a couple. Oh, yeah. I, pro- yeah. I promise, Terry. I'll no, keep Zach. them brief. I love to not annoy you. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> what is spaghetti ayoyo? Is that a real thing? And if it is, I think David Oyolo should make some. Um, oh my god! Why wasn't Heather played by Jessica Hecht? I mean, that's a missed opportunity. And then the Which last Heather. Question, oh, the the wife. The, the ex-wife. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's How true. that's the most Jessica Hecht performance role of all time. And then the, the, the final thing I want to say is, um, so I originally was going to ask, why does Roy have a swimming pool? Because he clearly doesn't like going outdoors. It doesn't seem like the type of person to go swimming. But the making of documentary goes into how Ridley Scott fell in love with the idea of a swimming pool in Roy's backyard because he wanted to use it as a practical lighting source. And then when I watched the movie again, I was like, oh, shit. It is like lit every single night scene. Like it is, that is so true. That is the reason there is a swimming pool there. It is to reflect the light for the night scenes. And there's always these little like overlays that you see in the movie, even in the opening credits, overlay of swimming pool. And almost, you almost think like there's gotta be some symbolism with the swimming pool or something. But like, I thought that was actually kind of interesting. And one more thing is that they, those scenes are clearly not filmed at LAX. If you've ever been to LAX, it doesn't look at all like LAX. They filmed it at, um, Anaheim yeah. Convention Center because after 9-11, when this movie was filmed pretty quickly after 9-11, they couldn't film, get the rights to film at LAX. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Yeah, they were like right there at like the terminal. <laughs> I was like, it's it like 2003? It, yeah, yeah, it doesn't look at all like LAX. Yeah, but the scenes in the parking lot where they, after the con, do you know where those were filmed? It's somewhat recognizable. They were filmed at the parking lot Dodger Stadium. Had they moved the camera like two inches to the oh. left, you would have seen Dodger Stadium. That makes sense. That's smart. All right. LVP, MVP, and then we'll wrap this up with uh, with our quote of the day. Uh, Adam, you're first. LVP and MVP. LVP is that I've only seen this movie twice. I think I need to see this a lot more, and I would be... Uh, have more lively conversation on it, but it's a really good uh, movie. MVP. I'm probably going to go with, I don't know, Ridley Scott for having the restraint for not having his Ridley Scottisms in the movie. It's, I, I like Blade Runner and Alien a lot. They're top 100 for me, but Magic Men is just missing out on the top 100. And I think a lot of that has to do with kind of Ridley Scott having the unconventional kind of film that he doesn't really kind of fall into his own tropes. So MVP would be Ridley. All right. That's a good call. Todd. Uh, my LVP is uh, telephone scammers because those people suck. And 
watching them do that is just like yeah that's the worst way to get people to give you money but you know hey they're con artists uh and my mvp i'm gonna say Dodie dorn who is the editor of the movie uh wait because the movie is really a brisk 115 minutes and uh the editor like it's also the oscar nominated editor of memento so like i mean th- th- there's some like real creative things going on here with with how they put the movie together and i i, I I'll, I'll put the movie on at any point i like a like I said, it's one of those like instantly rewatching movies because of how just perfectly paced it is. Nice. Zach. So my MVP is uh, Hans Zimmer, who we haven't even talked about. And it's not like the music in this movie is like that memorable or magnificent. It's not an Oscar winning score, but it's really kind of memorable, actually, because like you hear it. If you were to hear any piece of music from this movie, you would know it's Matchstick Men. I mean, at least you would, Todd, right? Like it's instantly recognizable. It's zippy. It moves the movie along. It's fun. Uh, it's, it, you know, an unconventional Hans Zimmer score, but it's you can hear some traces of his other scores in it. Like I can hear a little bit of Journey to the Line in one of the scenes from Thin Red Line. Um, LVP of this movie, I don't know. Uh, streamers for not putting it on streaming platforms. Netflix for investing $80 million in bullshit. And uh, this is a much better movie than anything that's on Netflix. With the possible exception of the Matilda uh, remake, which uh, has not been seen yet. But uh, that uh, is the LVP. Being right. mindful, it's a musical. I'm yeah, intrigued. It, Emma Thompson as Trunchbull. I want to see. I would want to see that. All right, my LVP is uh is uh, the PG thirteen rating because that gave. Well, it's kind of an LVP, kind of not because it gave us the word pygmies. Because every time he says pygmies, you know it was supposed to be something else. Or when he goes, oh, like right yeah. in the middle of a sentence. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Come on, pills. And uh, my my MVP is along the same line as Zach. Uh, I, I said the soundtrack, Hans Zimmer. It, it's a very un Hans Zimmer score. Uh, as I was watching it, the the way I described it is it it's like playful ele- elevator music, and it works. Uh, but also to throw in like like all the Frank Sinatra and Bobby Darin, and, and it it just fits the mood and the vibe of the movie so perfectly. And uh, yeah, it's good. It's good. Okay, quote of the day. Let's wrap this up. Todd, you're first. Uh, well, I have like a few. <laughs> um, the, well, nice. then we'll, we'll go with you last. How about that? By the way, I want to say this is number two on the cager between leaving Las Vegas and Grindhouse. So, oh, nice. But Grindhouse <laughs> for playing Fu Manchu. Well, everybody the knows that Grind, Grindhouse is one of the great cagers. Uh, I mean, he is in it, it's a cameo, but he is in it. All right, well, we'll uh, we'll go to uh, we'll go to Zach first, and we'll end with Todd. My my quote of the day comes from White Noise, and it's a line that uh, where uh, Adam Driver says, "I once thought of asking you to put on leg warmers before we made love," and then Greta Gerwig says, "Well, why didn't you?" And he says, "I thought you might suspect something was wrong, and there's something wrong with that movie, and there's something wrong with me for not having a Matchstick Men quote." But that was the only one I wrote down because I said all the others. God damn it, Dylar. That's what the Dylar. Dylar. Yeah. Dylar. I just got it. All right. Well, I'm next. I also have a quote from White Noise. I don't know. Oh, come on. I I found it. I thought (laughs) it was interesting. And uh, Adam Driver at one point says, family is the cradle of the world's misinformation. (laughs) And uh, I thought (laughs) thought it was a really funny quote. (laughs) And so uh, that's the one I 
That's the one I had down. Um, and I think it applies to Matchstick Men, too. I mean, the reason it works is because of family. So, all right. I think I just took Adam's quote. It gets him back for how in every sideshow we do, he steals all of the things that I'm going to say right before I say them. So uh, uh, we'll go to Todd. Todd, you can say a couple uh, a couple quotes first and as Adam's figuring something out. Um, so, I mean, they're just great quotes in the movie. Like, if you're going to get wet, you might as well go swim in. I never heard that anywhere else, and it's still a great quote. Or, you've been closing doors for a long time. It's good to see you start opening some again. And that's just good because of the line. New, New Year's. Uh, and um, the last one is, um, she left the door open. It was bitching. And I, that just describes this <laughs> podcast. Yes, that's perfect. <laughs> now, now the funny thing about the line, uh, if you get, um, if you get uh, wet, uh, you might as well go swimming. He messes it up later on in the movie, and he says, "If you're gonna, if you're going swimming, you might get wet or something." Like yeah, that. yeah. He, well, he doesn't say it exactly. He's like, yeah. he's like, yeah, yeah. I if you go exactly. swimming, you're gonna get wet. It's something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it. All right, Adam. I think you're you're still working on something there, uh, but while you're thinking no. about it, thank thank you for filling in for Todd and uh, and uh, and jumping on with us. Uh, you can hear him on the daily notes coming out every Saturday, and uh, and uh, yeah, and, and on so the sideshow, and on the sideshow, and on um, Journey with Spielberg. So I'll still be doing that too. And Journey with Spielberg's are coming out too. And Letterbox. And yeah, Blowing Twitter, up. Letterbox, all that stuff. I feel like no, you guys you are sending me down a AAA letterbox. again. Well, no, I, we're, I'm just, I'm just saying. Thanks. I'm stalling for you to come up he's, with a, with another quote since I stole yours. He's the well, Andy Dalton funny. of this podcast. Comes <laughs> yeah, in and wins exactly. games. Yeah. All right, what do you got? What do you got, Adam? <laughs> so okay, well, I couldn't find a good Halloween Halloween ends quote. I watched that one recently. Uh, not as good as Todd rated it, but whatever. Uh, anyway, um. <laughs> white noise there was a funny line about he's like um adam driver says something like uh no shit when this this is horrible this is a way to go out with a whimper adam this is uh, not good he uh he says a, something relatively like uh some people joke around about, about sex but i don't think i'm gonna be able to do that just cut this out please we'll, we'll keep moving on <laughs> I remember the quote. It was an interesting. You know what I'm saying? It was funny, Mm -hmm. but not as the quote is me not having a quote. So there we go. We'll just move on. All right. Well, uh, thank you all for listening to, uh, to our podcast today. Uh, Again, make sure you subscribe, rate, review, all that fun stuff. We'll be back at you very soon with another episode until then have fun watching movies and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.